Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. This is episode 282, with Graham McMillan and I in a reflective mood, as we talk about the year of the villain, an idea for a DC crossover event that appeared in a dream, the upcoming big reveal in Superman, the sequel to Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, two very surprising Jack Kirby comics, Batman Annual 4, the enigma wrapped with a riddle bound up in a douchebag that is Nikolai Dante, the secret origin of Light Ray, the surprise that is Initial D the manga, and much, much more in this two-hour plus installment. Comments on this episode are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. Send us your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester. Graham Quickdraw. McMillan, hello. That—that's me. I wouldn't make finger gun noises, but it—it uh, it just would. It doesn't work without the visual, you know. Mm. That's the problem with podcasts being an, an audio-only medium. You know, you I, I have point. to say, for you, for you, the number of times where you indicate that you're making gestures, you know, well, that's just it. But I couldn't do that and also go because what would I say? I'm making finger guns, but you, no, it doesn't work because you need the audio as well as the. It's it's just not going to work, Jeff. That's all I'm saying. Welcome everyone to Wait What Podcast with my co-host Orson Wells. Uh, yeah, <laughs> do you remember when we went through that phase where we were recording our podcasts on uh, video? Was it was it FaceTiming? We were FaceTiming each other, recording uh, the audio. I don't remember if it was that or Skype. Yeah, I think we just—I think we're just video skyping. I don't remember. I—I thought it was FaceTime because Skype, of course, was how we started out, and we didn't have to look at each other. But then we did FaceTime. Didn't didn't have to look at each other. Yes, and and then we did look at each other. Well, come on. This is the point of my whole story, Graham. Is we had that month or two where we we just minimized the window so we wouldn't have to look at each other because we were too self-conscious about our faces moving. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It totally, totally freaked us out. I remember that all too well, sadly, that really, 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 like, it was not good for us. I think that's just safe to say, right? Yeah, it really was. It was, it's, it's strange. Like, I am so relieved that you and I can actually hang out in person and we're not self-conscious <laughs> and that we can talk on the podcast and not be self-conscious but there was something about podcasting with the visuals we were like uh i can't move my face it was just like it was just weird because we're both used to like doing stuff if that makes sense yeah like you know actually um I don't know, like leafing through things or or whatever. That we were both like, should we just stare at the computer? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it 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 was bad. Mm-hmm. It was bad. Let's let's just let's just admit it. Yeah, yeah. There's there's no denying it was it was mighty uncomfortable, which is really funny to me now. Um, but in a way that is, don't get me wrong, I would not want to turn on the video and test our luck again you know what i mean yeah. like what what are you doing tonight what do you mean <laughs> i'm just paint a picture with audio for the listener for example i am sitting at my desk mm-hmm. i have beside me a pile of comics that i bought today at the frankenstein comic swap 
Um, yeah, I know. I, you know what I, or you know one of the things that I bought. I know. I want to hear uh, about it all though on air. And, uh, you know, I, I, it's a surprisingly warm day here today. So I'm just in a t-shirt. Well, I'm obviously wearing pants as well. I say that as in like, I'm not wearing a sweater when I say I'm just in a t-shirt. Oh, I see. Uh, yeah, exactly. Suddenly it turns out the way well, we're all, yeah. I'm just in a t-shirt. Well, see, that's it. <laughs> While you're talking, I'm like, okay, what kind of weird, sexy, perverse thing am I going to say that I'm wearing? So anyway, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, so so that's that. Like, what about you, Jeff? Where, where are you? What's going on in your life, Jeff? Just open up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, Graham. I'll tell you. First, I will talk about my physical location before moving on to my psychic location. Yes, yes, yes exactly. Like... So, physically. I am at the ancillary desk in Edie's office, and I am facing the computer, and there is my iPad on its little wooden easel just to one side so that I can open it up and, and look at the various uh, poor life decisions, the comic book version, um, to discuss tonight. I am wearing sweatpants, a sort of heavy faux fleece kind of shirt sort of thing. Maybe this is the real shirt. There was a shirt that I bought at the Irish shop in Humboldt I, County. I do, I do like these. Say maybe this is my real shirt. Like I'm not wearing the, the hologram of the shirt. Yes, exactly. This is the real one. This isn't, this isn't one of those podcasts where I body paint a, a pair of jeans and a t-shirt on me and then, and then record with you, Graham. This is actual what clothing. What astounding, astounding, uh, kind of horrible mental image that was yes yeah i it would not be good for anyone i have been sick since wednesday to lesser and greater degrees and uh i would say that today was sort of one of the greater degrees for most of it to the point where um before Edie and i went out and ran these very important errands and met some people uh i had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and she said to me you have peanut butter in your beard. And I was like, oh, my God. And I ran to the bathroom. And then I came back. And like 20 minutes later, as we got ready to leave, she turned to me and she said, you still have peanut butter in your beard. So I'm but saying. But was it the same peanut butter? Uh, I, I, you know, that's like the can you cross the same river twice, if you ask me. I would say that technically it was the same peanut butter. But, but in a way. Having been in my beard that much longer, it wasn't the same peanut butter at all, you know. <laughs> so thank you for going existential there. Yeah, yeah. Really, hadn't we all been on a journey in that point? Like, are any of us the same? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so my beard probably has peanut butter in it. It's it's sad to say it probably has some. It's slightly phlegmy and phlegmatic. My hair is sticking straight up in that sort of. Um, if Astro Boy was allowed to grow up and have his hair recede, or maybe if, you know, Bob's big boy had undergone chemotherapy, maybe. Um, that oh, sort see, of... that, that was exciting and then very dark. <laughs> I, I'd like to think I'd like to think that's my particular corner of the podcast, Graham. Uh, so and then psychically. There is a – well, first, there's the being sick, which is not much fun and being run down. But, Graham, I I want to talk to you about a dream that I had last night involving Batman. Um, 
Oh, please do. Please do. Yeah, yeah. No, Come I off know. the Yes, well, thank you. So, so, so last night I had a dream in which I was reading a Batman comic. And then I woke up from the dream. And I actually was like, you know, that's not such a bad idea, I think. And that's why I'm trying this out with you. Now, I think you know, Graham, that that it is currently the year of the villain as far as DC is concerned. And it, is, it is the year of villain. It's, I believe the year of the villain has just begun. I say that because do you know what year of the villain is inside the comics as opposed to a branding thing? Um, Sort of. I mean, it's kind of that thing where it's like, isn't it like sexy purple Lex Luthor gets to travel around and offer extra power to all these other villains. So sexy purple half Martian Lex Luthor. Ah, right. Um, Travels around not only to different villains and offers them like extra power because that's just Underworld Unleashed. No, it's Underworld Unleashed Plus, much like Disney Plus. Lex (laughs) also makes the offer to everyone. uh, If you basically give in to evil. Mm. Then, then, like we will all gain power. Mm, I see, and they do. Uh... Like, like the, the Eurovision Song Contest, the world somehow votes, and they vote for evil. Oh, right, the world voting for evil. That's you know, it's so weird because that's a that that's a weirdo plot point for Batman last night on Earth, right? Isn't that uh, also part of in in book two? Yes, there's this whole yes. like. Yes. Ah, okay. uh, so everyone votes for evil, and thus begins the year of the villain. People actually vote for evil. Well, so I mean, say what you like. Scott Snyder might be a bit on the nose, but it's also hard to look at what's happening, say, in Britain or America, right. and go, "Hmm, voting for evil." It's not entirely as to the realm of Right, it, exactly. It doesn't seem that impossible. Well, so, right. So I was going to mention Year of the Evil. I think one of the, the problems with Year of the Villain sort of is, uh, uh, is that it's, you know, we, we have seen this before in a way. I mean, we haven't seen this variation on it, but I do feel like Dan DiDio's got his, his little event tropes that he keeps returning oh, to. Oh, yeah, yes, yes. And... I mean, this is Forever Evil too, right? Yes, exactly. So I actually had a uh, – the Batman comic that I was reading in my dream was part of an ev- event called The Secret Year. And in the dream the, – in the comic in my dream, Batman had taken on a brand new secret identity and – the whole event was that all of the superheroes, uh, all of the DC superheroes had had to, because of some weird psychic invasion, had had to abandon their old secret identities and take up entirely new ones. And so this was the year, like, they were still the same people, you know what I mean? But instead of Kal-El Superman being Clark Kent, he was like, some car mechanic guy you know Mm -hmm. and like i said i woke up thinking that's not such a bad idea yeah it's actually not like there there's there's actually a lot of potential in that idea that's what i thought too okay well good i'm really glad because that's kind of where psychic landscape wise like 
I've just been uh, just a gooey wreck the last three days. But that was something where I was like, yeah. And for that matter, one of the things that I like about the Secret Year crossover idea is, I mean, apart from the fact of because they'll have new secret identities, you could give people like new supporting casts. And then after the event's over, if any of them are super popular or stuck or work, you can kind of bring them in with the new cast. You know what I mean? Like, it seems like a good way to revitalize a lot of uh, uh, heroes supporting casts in their books. But also, um, it made me think about how the idea of heroes, like, I feel like the, the, the DC superhero suddenly pulling off their mask and having a different secret identity was kind of a weird silver to bronze age trope. You know what I mean? And I sort of wonder, like, part of me is like, I would really love to sit down with, say, like, the first hundred issues of Justice League of America and take some of those pitches that were used to sell a cover that Gardner Fox then had to work hard or, in some cases, not very hard at all to to come up with a justification for the cover gimmick mm-hmm. and, and sort of see how many of those can be blown up into um, maybe interesting events. Cause, cause I do kind of feel like forever evil two, you know, underworld unleashed three year of the villain one is, is it's kind of done. Like Scott Snyder will probably work hard to make it, to give us something that we haven't seen before. Or like you said, make it very on the nose and of the moment in a way that makes it worth picking up. But from a distance, I do, I do find myself being very like, I, I, it's an event that I just don't have any interest in. Um, I'm, uh, I, I don't, I don't know what my interest level is in it. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, I like it in theory, and like Scott has told me, like in the we're doing an interview, he's like, okay, this is off the record, but mm-hmm. part. Like the the main beats, mm-hmm. and I like the main beats, mm-hmm. but I've also found myself the execution being like, okay, right? Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it, it's it's, but at the same time, I don't know what the the thing it's all clearly leading to is, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I am cautiously optimistic about that. If that makes sense. Mm. Like there, there were, the solicit cycle is so far ahead that it's like, you know, and the Justice League stops in January and mm-hmm. then there's the next thing. And I'm like, OK, that's maybe good. But at the same time, I'm also seeing things like, you know, Justice League, Hell Arisen or whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't really want to read a Lex Luthor versus the Batman Who Loves comic. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I just don't. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I also think for myself, um, you know, it. It feels like I know it's sort of a weird touchstone for for me and my various uh, opinions and feelings on Scott Snyder. But metal was an event where I went from hooray to like uh, and part of what part of what bummed me out is I feel that uh, Snyder. One of the things that's hard for me is the current um, tenor for big crossover events is, is I feel very much if I'm understanding things right. And I'm leaning very heavily on say, reading a lot of columns by like Chad Nevitt and stuff is the idea that 
Brian Bendis over at Marvel really took the event that chains to a larger event that changes, you know, chain is chained to a larger event. Like there's, there's no real payoff. There's just a, yeah. I, I mean, that was, that was certainly true of the, uh, basically like the Bendis era of Marvel. Right. Right. Cause everything leads to a status quo change that exists to lead up to the next event, which mm-hmm. is a year away. Right. Right. Exactly. You know, so it is just a cycle, but also I feel that that, Cycle kind of got broken with Avengers versus X Men. Uh, yeah, I think so. I can see that. I can see. You that. know, like, but I think you can definitely make an argument that you know, um, Secret Invasion leads to Dark Reign, leads to Siege, leads to you know, yeah, completely. There was that ex- escalation, mm-hmm. but I think Avengers versus X Men kind of short circuited it mm. to an extent, right? Um, and I'm not sure. Like, I feel that DC is doing something similar. Well, I definitely feel that Scott Snyder went from kind of, uh, here's my Batman stuff, here's Metal, Metal is leading right into, you know, uh, Justice League. Justice League, League no justice, which led into the new Justice League, which led into your villain. Yes. You know, which is leading into, you know, I think it's called Justice Doom War. Mm-hmm. Wait, but mm-hmm. that's not a crossover, that's literally just a storyline. But, like, Metal also had the Batman Who Laughs spinoff, mm-hmm. which then leads into the Batman versus, uh, Batman versus Superman, Batman Superman comic. Right. Which then leads into this Hell Arisen comic. You know, and it's, it's really weird, because as a fan, I appreciate the idea that, like, the comics are paying attention to what the other comics are doing. Yes. I like the shared universe of it all. Yeah. Right. Right. It's just one of those things that when you don't necessarily dig the major story. Right. You then start feeling like everything is beholden to this status quo that you don't like. Mm-hmm. You don't want it becomes quite tiring. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I especially felt that in Marvel during Dark Reign. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, where it was like, I'm done, you guys. Right. <laughs> I just don't want to read oh, now the bad guys are in charge for a year. Right. I just don't. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's not exciting. It's not fun. And you're not going to come up with a payoff that's going to be worth it for me. And sure enough, like, Siege was, I think, a payoff that worked for no one. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It is no. remarkable that that was sort of the crescendo and everyone was just like, blah. You know? You know? And, and so it, it's, it's, it is a problem. when Shared universes are great when shared universes are done well. But very often, shared universes are not done well. Well, and yeah, no, I agree. And I think what's I, th- I think what's hard is even when they're sort of like they are done well. Like I think I don't know. I you know I really vacillate because I have a lot of respect for for Scott Snyder. I feel like that dude really works hard to put out a comic book that people are going to be like, yeah, like he he does the work. I just think that. That he also, as is frequently the case with people who write a ton of comics during a ton of time, like things fall into patterns and not sticks, but like, you know, there's there's the the tropes and ticks that people lean on. And I just am not I'm not really very fond of those. And so, yeah, I think there's just a little bit of the no, no, no. I just kind of like I don't. 
no thank you. It was, it's kind of like uh, when truffle oil was being sprinkled on food all over the place, you know, and it's like, I, you know, for the people who love truffle oil, it's like, oh, awesome. Now I can get my, you know. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Now everything's truffle oil. Yeah. Great. Corn with truffle oil. Fabulous. But for people who aren't into it or even if just are a little burnt out on truffle oil, it's kind of like, Ugh, okay, I'm really going to have to wait here and maybe i'll just have oh the ice cream's got truffle oil on it too okay never mind i'll just i'm i'm fine don't mind me so yeah i but, but at the same time and this is something i i like we kind of touched on before i'm really like i'm uh excited maybe not the right word i'm impatient for whatever is coming after all these big tc events but do you know what I mean? Like, because they've already talked about, like, you know, we've got this new timeline, mm-hmm. and blah blah blah, and I feel this weird thing where, whatever this new timeline is, whatever this new status quo is, comes not only after, you, you know, a Snyder's Justice League stops, but whatever is after that, mm-hmm. and it's this weird thing where I'm like, so I'm impatient for something that's not gonna happen for six months, right? Like, it's this weird thing where I wish I knew less. Mm-hmm. I wish they had said this. Because I'm already like, just like, whatever. We already know that this is all going to end up with like a, a continuity re, re, rewrite. Right. So almost none of this matters. Well, but but even for me, as much as I'm, I think the other thing that's hard is like, you're going to get to that continuity rewrite. You're going to have your continuity like reboot, you know, and you'll have the first issue of it. And it'll be a special size, you know, special or whatever. And it will lay down the contours of of sort of what's new. And then the last page will introduce like that Jor-El is the anti-monitor now or something. You know what I mean? And he's ready to crush the universe. And I think that's the other thing that's kind of the perpetual motion machine of it kind of uh, gets to me a little bit in a way. Um, well, no, it is because it's it's the – do you remember actually after Siege where Marvel was like, okay, we're not doing crossovers. Mm. Like this status quo, but it's just the status quo. We're not doing crossovers. And status quo is just like everyone's happy now. Right. This, was that the heroic age? Is that yeah, the heroic the, age, right? right? Mm-hmm. And how quickly like the, the fan base en masse tired of that? And, you know, within like a year, they're like, only joking, here's whatever. I think Avengers vs. X-Men was the next thing. But see, I feel like they didn't even wait six months. I feel like the Heroic Age was slapped on there. I feel like the Heroic Age was like three months long, and I might be misremembering. No, no, that's how it felt to me. It was like three issues tops. And some of those issues, one issue was like the fallout, you know. And then it was, yeah, no, I, I, at least for me, it really felt like, suddenly they were like okay okay no never mind you know um so yeah i think i think they i definitely feel like they blinked uh so uh, all of which is to say i'm not really sure where i'm going with this other than what i kind of did like about my little you're you're like my idea resets everything for a year but there's no crossover at the end of it well you're right that it's that it's more like um it's Except like, there is, right? Because if there's some event that forces everyone to have different secret identities for a year, there has to be some payoff to that. Well, because what, what's the opposite? Everyone just goes, up, oh, never mind. We're right. going back to our own lives. Like there has to be some mass payoff to it. Well, it's sure, sure. It's just your mass payoff in your like in your view, right? Is the end of the story, right? 
and right. see. And then it's kind of there is a little bit of the you. Re, I think what it is 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 the idea of like oh you return to the status quo, but the status quo is a little different. The way that the way that people quote unquote like it, but I think for me the idea behind the secret year that that worked in my brain was a little bit of this idea of like oh you're telling you're telling Batman stories, but the Batman stories are a little different, but they can also just be regular Batman stories. You know what I mean? And then you have like one or two turning points and then, yeah, there's a big wrap up, but it might be just something where you can get away with doing sort of the way that, uh, what was it? Millennium? Was it? No. What's the Armageddon 2001 was supposed to be where it was like two one shots and a bunch of annuals maybe except yeah, yeah you know you get a you get a one shot at the beginning of the year and then maybe you get a one shot at the end of the year and the extent to which anyone wants to pick up and play with the various threads in between you know but i mean you i'm not seriously pitching no this. i get it, but like yeah. i'm i'm literally now thinking through plot mechanics of it mm-hmm. you could also be like there is an inciting incident that makes everyone leave essentially they're, yes. they're regular lives. right but then across the next year people could make the decision to go back earlier. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that, that you do just leave up to in the individual creator team, creative teams. Right, that could be. You know, like, yeah. like how long does someone like Batman need to stay away from a secret identity realistically? Yeah. Like, he doesn't have loved ones. Right. You know, as opposed to The Flash. Mm-hmm. Or like Green Lantern. Literally, Hal Jordan's just fucking off in space being Hal Jordan. Right. Like, he just needs to take part at all. Yeah, yeah. That's true. That's you true. You know, or Wonder Woman. Like, you, you, there is the, depending on how much the series uses a supporting cast, uses secret identities, you could have them slip and slide depending on. Mm-hmm. And then you're, you, 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 whatever the inciting incident is, you could have it essentially be complete in that first story. Right. Right. And then the fallout is, I, I mean, what's funny is we're saying this and I, as, I'm, as I'm talking, I'm like, well, then there's also what the Superman books are doing in January. Mm-hmm. Which do you know? No idea. Uh, Superman is is revealing secret identity to the world, hmm. um, and it's apparently like sticking. It's apparently not a storyline. It's it's just like the status quo going forward. That that, I mean, until Bendis leaves the books, presumably. Well, not, presumably, like it, it, it's not a it's not intended as like a a, a gimmick, right? Right. Or or. I mean, obviously, it's a gimmick. It's sure. not intended as a short-term gimmick. Yeah. Well, I and and this was my thing thinking about Secret Year. Sorry to cut cut you off. Was that idea of particularly the effect of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is kind of that secret identities don't really seem to feel like much of a component of superheroes these days, you know. And so there's there's this sort of threatening to like, oh, we should undo this you know like the whole thing of at least captain america and iron man you know what i mean like there's a lot of like people are a little iffy about whether or not daredevil i guess he's got his secret identity back but he went through a period where it wasn't but weren't they teasing it like they might be getting rid of spider-mans again or am i just confusing that with what they're talking about for superman maybe i don't like i don't pay enough attention to right Spider-Man. right maybe they are maybe um, i don't think so but. i mean don't forget like Spider-Man and Daredevil have both, in the last 10 years, had their secret identities revealed to the world right. and then undone. Yeah. 
you know, so it, it, you can't. It, there's only so far you can take it seriously when people are like, oh, "This will never be undone." Right. But you're right. Like, it's, and honestly, especially Marvel books mm-hmm. are very um, elastic with the concept of secret identity. Yeah, it seems like, like. DC books more so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like Clark Kent has been the secret identity, like, and just right. continuously. Right. Batman has, uh, Bruce Wayne has been as well. Mm-hmm. Um, what I like about the Superman idea is. It kind of addresses like a core contradiction of Superman. The truth. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Like his truth, but his entire thing is based on a lie. Mm-hmm. But also, apparently, when it happens, it's going to play out in the last half of the Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen miniseries. Hmm. Which makes sense, right? Because Lois is going to, I mean, obviously Lois knows, mm-hmm. but Lois's reputation is going to be fucked mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when this comes out. And Jimmy's just probably going to be, I mean, he's an idiot. He'll probably be excited, but there'll also probably be some, well, why didn't you tell me? Right. Like, I, I'm kind of pissed because, like, I've known both of you or I've known you in both lives for all this time. Right. You could have just trusted me. Like, there is story potential there that I think is really interesting while also addressing the contradiction that has been at the core of Superman since day one. Right. You know, like, I, I think I think it has potential to be additive. Uh, oh yeah, no, it it's going to be additive as all hell, and the, like it it'll generate, like you said, there's there's a ton of story that can be generated by that, but uh, and and I don't know. Again, it's that weird for for me. Uh, one of the things that I was, you know, apart from me being like, oh, that's such an interesting idea, brain that has been fighting a cold for four days. Good for you. Uh, is a little bit of. I, it's funny, I have friends who, uh, you know, my age or a little older who are comic book fans, and they always have trouble with how much of the time people are unmasked in the Marvel movies, you know, Mm -hmm. and they're like, everyone's going to know who that person is. And I'm just like, yeah, but it doesn't, you know, like, yeah, it doesn't matter. And, and there is a lot of, uh, the thing that I think is really funny is some people would say that in our um, Instagram always on social media culture, the idea of a secret identity seems um, weirdly out of step. But of course, <clears throat> for me, I'm actually like the opposite because the things that we talk about, like, I don't know, Facebook syndrome or whatever, where we look and we see everyone else apparently having a better time than we are the... sure sure but it's literally the public face they're presenting right or these stories about you know the um vegan instagrammers who were caught eating meat you know because mm-hmm. they were and then they were like my health was suffering because of being vegan and people were being like you know you're you're a fucking fake like there's ways in which i'm like i feel like secret identity stuff is kind of more loaded than ever you know yeah yeah so and and what's Uh, well what's weird is superman is such the because he's the first dude like and the template is right there there is a lot of um weird contradictory stuff about here's a guy who is fooling everyone who talks about you know truth how does that add up? And for me, half the fun is trying to figure out how to square that circle, I guess. Well, exactly. And, and honestly, there's a risk of with Superman, like 
the contradiction, not the contradiction is necessary, mm-hmm. but like it makes Superman interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. That he does, like, it, he's, he, as Superman, he talks about, the, you know, truth and being honest and being the best you can be. Right. As Clark, he's an investigative journalist. Yeah. He still has the secret, like, that he keeps from the world. Mm-hmm. Like, again, that's an interesting story to be told as well. Right. And maybe that's a story that Ben's is going to tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, there, there, there does when you say, well, we're going to just reveal a secret identity. You, you run the risk of, of doing something bad to the character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's. I'm very curious to see how it's going to work out. I want to say two things very quickly about what you're just saying, though. Sure. One, did you see Sherilyn Eaton's Twitter thread this week? And I honestly, I don't know if I'll be able to find it when I look for it because it might have been in response to someone where she was talking about social media and how it would uh how if if certain comic book characters really engage with the modern world they wouldn't work in the same way and her example was clark kent would never get away with being unattractive yes yeah i do remember because he's a public figure Mm -hmm. and photographs of him would be out there and like she was like you know he tweets something in the first 42 responses just be people calling him daddy yes yeah that was you know and that's that that was Mm -hmm. a really interesting like Mm -hmm. thoughts yeah that's that was because i'm like that's true that really would change like everything about clark kent's public perception right right like Mm -hmm. it's that was fascinating to me thing number two is we're talking about all of this and your secret year idea Weirdly reminds me of of the Bendis, David Walker, Jamal Campbell, Naomi series. Mm, mm-hmm. um, did you read it? I did. I did. Yeah, I read. I read all six issues. I think. Yeah, it's something about the idea of of the secret secret identity, mm-hmm. the like repositioning yourself and having to sort of fit in. Mm-hmm. Really made me think of the the um, Puerto Suego location. Of the of the series in the in the start, mm. you know, and the idea that like everyone there has secrets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to spoil it for people who haven't read it. I actually really like it. I, they, DC sent me the collection. I read it all in a one or the other day. Oh, good. And I really like it uh, when you read it as a one Oh, you know, I hate to say it, but because this is, the, I feel like this happens to me so much with Bendis, uh, and I, I was hoping that David Walker would alleviate it. I like everything up until the end. And then the end, the end really is so fast. Yeah, like weirdly fast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like it leads up to I mean, it reads like a book that gets cancelled. Mm-hmm. To be honest, yeah, you know, and I know that's not the case. I know there's there's a second season coming, uh, but and this is not spoiling anything for people who haven't read it. But it really does lead up to a confrontation with a villain that happens in maybe two pages. Mm-hmm. And the confrontation is basically. She bops him on the nose, and he's like, "I'll be back," and that's the end. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is, I mean, astonishingly anticlimactic. Mm-hmm. But again, if it's not the climax, then how do you take it, right? Right. Like I see what you're saying, but also knowing it's coming back for a second season. Yeah, no, it's like, it, it, it didn't. Like it didn't hurt as much. I did. I do understand what you're saying. Right. So uh, even even or especially reading it in a oneer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You do get the feeling that it's building up to this confrontation, and then the confrontation is particularly unconvincing. Well, you know, interestingly enough, part of my thing was it. It also it also felt a lot like as I was reading the individual issues of Naomi, I was because 
because there's so many onion-like layers, it's kind of like, oh, okay. Like once you find out Naomi's actual origin, you're like, oh, this is great. This really feels like something that is going to pay off like far from in the future. And suddenly at the last issue is like, boom. It's kind of like if you were watching the first um, hour and 50 minutes of A New Hope and then you cut to the last 10 minutes of Return of the Jedi. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. I, oh, I, I, like, I, I know what you mean. There really is a like, this is the overarching mm-hmm. uh, theme of this, of this, of the story of the series. Exactly. And then it's done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I that was that 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 was so weirdly it was almost like my my problem was the same but different for than yours. But yeah, there's there's a um uh there I I do feel like you said there there's so much that has changed in our culture and our society, but there's still ways in which so many of those tensions are still uh intact that We'll see how we'll see how all this stuff gets played out, of course. But I think the one thing that I is interesting to me is uh, the how I don't necessarily want to read some of the DC crossovers or events, but I do find myself. I guess this is it. I'm not as invested in the DC characters as I used to be, but I also feel like because their universe is still kind of a vanguard for things that I think of as quote unquote classic superheroes. I'm, I'm very invested in aspects of it, I suppose. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally get that. I, I totally understand. Mm. Um, what? Okay. First of all, I do kind of wish your secret year thing existed. Yeah, or was going to exist. Well, thank you. Yeah, like yeah. there, no, there is. There, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, there, there really is a lot of, of potential for fun there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, even if it's not a year, even if it is just like an annual event, and you just have it in annuals, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like just the idea of putting everyone undercover, for whatever a week, a day, whatever. Mm-hmm. There's there's fun stories to be told, and you can tell things about the characters. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, how do they fit into these new environments? How don't they fit in? How are their new secret identities exactly the same to their the real selves right. versus like how many of them get into it right. and are like, ha, I'm not Clark Kent anymore. I'm secretly Jean Pierre. I'm a fashion designer. Uh, you know, I, I, you know how how many of them like really yeah. In, enthusiastically embrace it right versus bruce wayne being like my name is wayne bruce okay <laughs> fine fuck you exactly there's a lot of fun there yeah uh it's anyone who's listening from dc just steal this idea please. yeah please do we just want to see it because it just it just seems to me like it would be a good way to provide a twist that isn't like oh now everyone's evil now everyone is powerless now everyone well, just... is powerless because evil is one So I'm. uh, You saw, or maybe you didn't. uh, This week, a DC account uh, tweeted out a detail from the timeline, from the new timeline. Oh, I did not. Did you see it? Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Uh, And it it it's had a few like interesting things in there. Mm -hmm. Wonder Woman fucks off. First of all, Wonder Woman is the first superhero in the DC universe. Right. Uh, 
in before World War Two, mm-hmm. and then she leaves Man's World after the first uh, atomic bomb is dropped, mm. hmm. which is again a genuinely interesting place to go. Mm-hmm. The idea that she's like, well, no, fuck you, right? <laughs> like this is horrific. I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. Like it is something that I like. It's something that I I can see being made to fit with the character. Mm-hmm. Is something that I is a story I want to see. They also definitively say the Superman and Batman were around, uh, in World War Two. Were born in World War Two. Wow. What? Yes. Yes. Um, which is a really interesting choice. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Because either you're aging them out. Mm-hmm. Because World War Two was what seventy years ago now. Yeah. Um, yeah. or because I, I first, my first thought was, oh, they're aging them all out. Mm-hmm. That's what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I saw people on Twitter being like, "Or Bruce Wayne is staying young forever because of the Lazarus Pit, mm. and Superman is immortal. Superman gets a certain age and then stops aging." Sure. Like both of which are ideas that are out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was funny was, again, it's a really interesting idea, but how vehemently I was like, "No, right." Nope, especially for Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, nope. If you say that Bruce Wayne has been like Batman for like 50, 60 years, yeah, and he's just always staying young because Lazarus Pit, no, mm-hmm. no, that breaks the character. You can't do that, right? You know, like I'd rather he fucking died. <laughs> no, really, I'd, I'd rather you kill him off and replace him, right? You know, because we've had Dick Grayson's Batman, we've had Damien as Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've had replacements. We've had um, Jean-Paul Valley as Batman. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's, the, like, I'd rather they go that route than say, no, Bruce is Bruce. It's always been Bruce, mm-hmm. but he's been doing it for half a century, and he's artificially young. Mm-hmm. Like, I, they, there is just something there where I'm like, no, no, no. Well, because, I mean, was- you know, one of the one of the things that, underlying this uh was the ah shit the infinity formula do you remember that it is a kid it oh, kind the, of blew my mind yeah it was like the it was That's like why next year he's still young yeah exactly it was this beautiful it was i think i, I can't remember if howard chicken like co-wrote it he definitely did the art i can't maybe he wrote and drew it and and starlin i think had a hand in it as well and archie goodwin was the editor and it was this whole thing of like yeah nick fury is Always young because he took the Infinity Formula. And Chaykin, like years later in an interview, was like, well, sure, that's great. But what about Dum Dum fucking Dugan? You know, like it, it was just that he's fighting right next to Gabe Jones. Like where where the hell does that leave them? The idea that Bruce Wayne is like young for 70 years. Bruce Wayne is a public figure. Like, you know, it's what's he going to do? artificially age himself like pretend to yeah, be his own yeah. son like it just at that point you just well, end up making so much difficulty for well, yourself that's just it like it's yeah. one of those things that like seems like uh it's like the inventive formula right like it seems like a graceful solution until you think about it for three seconds yeah yeah exactly. and then you're like actually no right. that creates far more problems absolutely so, yeah. what's what's funny is one of the things i like about dc Mm-hmm. is uh, compared with marvel i should mm-hmm. say is that it does continually renew yes like reboots mm-hmm. because it essentially it sidesteps those problems like they're now literally introducing the problem that marvel has right 
that is a real problem for Marvel. And then you get Marvel basically going, it's a sliding timeline. All of our story still happens, but they only happens in a 15-year time span, which is why we now have to invent a new Vietnam War. Right, which is just stupid. Like, it's that yeah, point exactly. of, like, it's, you it's, know... It's, it's just like, no, just fucking say it. Like, let some stories go. Do you right. know what I mean? Well, because because it really is saying that. Marvel Marvel is doing the incredible, incredibly chicken shit maneuver of, like, all these stories happen unless we say they didn't. And clearly some of them didn't because now we have a foreign war that of an imaginary country. But they still all did, you guys. You know? And it's just like... No, there's just no there's no fucking way. There is just no fucking way. If you took Captain America has had even if every issue of his comic book just takes one day, you know, he's been back for something like 36 years by this point. And it and it on the one hand part of me is like who cares it's comics, but what I like about DC DC's weird obsessiveness is um it's more than lip service and it, it runs the risk of getting them into trouble. On the other hand, I feel like as long as you have people who are clever enough to not just fall on, uh, uh, to rely on the crutch of, oh, okay, here's a reboot. Oh, but here comes general Zod, you know, like, I think that, I think that you can actually do something. You can really think things through for, for better or for worse. I really think that Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo made a very smart choice by deciding to be like, no, fuck you. This is this is the new 52 Batman. Here's our zero year. Yeah, know? exactly. Yeah, yeah. like we were literally, you know, we were very aggressively rebooting it. And what's funny is when the new 52 started, Batman looked like the one thing that hadn't really been rebooted besides right. Greenland. Exactly. Yeah. And then, like, Snyder Capullo were like, no, it, we've really rebooted it. Yeah. Like, we, we, we are fairly aggressively, here's the new Batman year one. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. The problem is, as well, though, that you get, if you look at New 52 as, like, the reboot and not Rebirth, although, look at them both together. Right. Um, You see how quickly, post-reboot, creators return to the same stories that have been told. Yes. And that's you know, the problem. That's, yeah. that's the problem with rebooting, mm-hmm. right? Because creators are like, well, in this reality, right. no one's done the General Zod story yet, so I'm going to fucking do the General Zod story. That's right. And, yeah. and so it really is diminishing returns. Yeah. Yep. No, I mean, and I think I, – so I do think in a way there is a little bit of the – okay, like when DC reboots – one of the things they need to do is have a big whiteboard of, uh, you know, of like, here are stories that you cannot tell. But that, that's know? that's what they've done, right? That's what this timeline is. Mm-hmm. This timeline is literally saying these stories happened and here's when they happened. Mm-hmm. Like when they showed the, the graphic in, you, uh, in NYCC, like you literally had headers going, here's when Justice League International happened. Here's when Flashpoint happened. Mm-hmm. Here's like... In relation to where we are now. Right. Like, it's X number of years ago that this happened. X number of years ago that this happened. Right. And they're named specific stories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Not just events like, you know, Wonder Woman emerges, blah, blah, blah. Little, like, Barry Allen is born, which is another, like, weird timeline thing. Um, but also, like, you know, this is when whatever. Mm-hmm. This is when Crisis on Infinite Earths happened. Right. This is when Zero Hour happened, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, and they're trying to put it in 
in a literally formalized timeline, which in theory will stop people doing the same story. But again, will it? Right. Because right? think post-crisis, mm-hmm. when DC were like, okay, we've literally got a book called History of the DC Universe. Mm-hmm. Like, here, here's your history. And you still had people being like, but what if <laughs> Hawkman just came to Earth now? Right. Right. Like, and you have, you like, and no one was like, no, he's fucking like, he's literally been seen in Justice League yeah. since Crisis on Infinite Earths. Right. He can't be coming to Earth now. And people are like, but all I'm saying is, what if he did? And, you know, cut to three years down the line and Dan Jurgens being like, okay, so fucking Zero Hour will have 17 Hawkmen in it. Yeah. So I'm going to fucking make sense of this. Right. Right. No, agreed. And, and I think that is, that's always such a huge risk and a huge problem because of course you know and hawkman got so fucked for such a long time so, yeah, and then hawkman, hawkman became a continuity black hole yeah. and honestly one that really only got worked out in all honesty with like the really recent hawkman series Ooh. never mind jeff johns thing see i the thought re- jeff johns did a pretty good job until they refucked it all again you know yep, so. that, yeah oh god this is yeah the jim starlin stuff just yeah was Everyone basically pretends that it doesn't exist because that fucks it all up again horrifically. The the Venditti series, the Venditti and Hitch series, mm-hmm. um, basically went – the Jeff Johnson concept is right apart from it's it was too small. Mm-hmm. Um, he keeps being reborn, but he's reborn throughout time mm-hmm. and born in different planets. Mm-hmm. And so contradictory Hawkmen can exist at the same time because mm-hmm. he, he is just continually being reborn like at any point. Like, there can be a, a Hawkman on Earth and Krypton simultaneously. Hmm. Because it's different points of his timeline. Mm. But he is ping-ponging through time. Mm. Which is, honestly, I think the only way you can do it now. Right, exactly. Because there's so many different, like, but what if this was Hawkman? What if this was Hawkman? <laughs> you know, because it, it, it is. Like, at this, you don't get to the point where you're like, well, Hawkman's origins in Egypt, apart from the fact that we've seen him before Egypt. Right. And you're like, uh, fuck. Right. Okay, then. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so the only way to do it is be like, yeah, Egypt was the start, and then it just went through time. Right. Like, he became a pilgrim. Mm. That's the only way it could work. That's very fun. I have to admit, I had not – I followed the first couple of issues of Hawkman, tapped out, have heard many good things. Maybe I'll catch up on DC Universe. It's, but Yeah, I'll catch up on DC Universe or catch up on Hoopla. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, don't get me wrong. It's not going to change the world, Jeff. Sure. But it's, it's – Definitely the most coherent Hawkman series is, has been, like, at least since John's, if not before John's. Right. But also, it is simultaneously more ambitious, but more ambitious in such a small way mm-hmm. than it manages to meet its own ambitions. Which is which is so rare. But I also have to say, please, God, someone for the Hawkman annual do Slaughterhouse-Five, but with Hawkman in it, because I want to read that so badly. That is such a great (laughs) idea. Just because I said Billy Pilgrim, you're like, wait. Yeah, no, well, because I was, I definitely, when you mentioned the ping-ponging back in time, I'm like, oh yeah, Billy Pilgrim, Slaughterhouse-Five. And now just the idea of Hawkman just smacking some dude with a mace, you know, uh, while hiding in the trenches in Dresden or something like that is just like, ah, my heart. So, like, doing a real (laughs) fucked up... You know what I mean? Like I'm like, yeah, no, I, I, I totally do. Hawkman again, and Kilgore like, Trout that's... is the team up that needs to happen. Like it needs to happen. <laughs> but it, but you can do that now, right? Mm-hmm. Here's the thing: you do the ty- this DC timeline right, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And by right, I mean everyone commits the bit. Right. Everyone does. Mm-hmm. And they commit the bit for a length of time. Mm-hmm. Like you have at least five years to get this down before people start going, ah, but what about? Right. And it could be great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It genuinely could be great. Um, DC fans, arguably more than DC creators, are accepting of legacy versions of their heroes. You know, like Kyle Rayner was accepted. Oh, and then God, Jeff yes. was, And then Jeff Johnson and Dan Tadeo were like, but wasn't Hal Jordan great? You know, Wally West was accepted. Mm-hmm. Connor Hawk was getting accepted. Right? right? So you can say the heroes aged out. Well, and, and then they and then they undid it, and it was like, you know, so it, it's... it's... That, but that's what, that's what I'm saying. I feel that the fans accepted it more than the creators did. Yes, no, absolutely. Well, and, and the so creators may well have the... been Dan DiDio, you know? I, I, I don't mean to... Yeah, yeah. No, but really seriously, like, I think Tadio and Johns are the ones who are like, but what if it was Barry Allen and Hal Jordan? Well, you know, uh, I mean, how do I put it? I feel that Dan Tadio came in with like, here's what I want to see people pitch to it. Like, I feel like that's kind of the big secret behind the curtain like identity crisis, you know, everyone's like, oh, my God, Brad Meltzer, how amazing. How did you do this stuff? And he's like, yes, it was a love letter to all the stuff that I loved and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, five years later, you're like, yeah, they wanted to have a big mystery in which a bunch of people were killed. And they put together a bunch of people that they said could be killed. And then they said to me, who would you kill and how would you do it? And I came up with an idea and they liked it and it sold lots of copies, you know, or I don't want to tell stories out of school, but I happen to know, thanks to my good friend who's an entertainment reporter that he was talking to a uh, a, a writer who um, will name remain nameless who basically said like yeah i don't really want to write this event that brings back this person but i was told essentially that i had to do it so i'm going to make the best out of it that i can so yeah and, and that's and but that is and, I'm trying to think of a, I'm trying to think of think of a way of saying like that's just the way it works. Well, that right? is the way, it, but what, it is just the way it works. But but again, like I'm not I'm not saying anything to defend Dio here at all. I guess what I'm saying is my point is if everyone at DC commits to this, mm-hmm. I think fans have shown that they are open to the idea mm-hmm. of aging the characters out, right, and replacing them. Yeah, like m- you've maybe got a problem with Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, right. The maybe. Trinity, exactly. But, but again, everyone else. Maybe yeah. you've not. Yeah, that's true. That's true. A lot of people you know, were cause like... Because like, mm-hmm. fans, fans liked Dick Grayson's Batman. That's right. You know, I, I honestly think you could probably make John Kent Superman and get away with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, or fuck it. Bring in Val Zod. If you really can't do without a Clark, bring in a Clark Kent from a different reality. <laughs> well... No, I'm serious. Like, if you, if you are married to it. Well, I mean, one of the things that is deeply, deeply confusing about Superman continuity these days is if that is the Clark Kent from another continuity. You know what I mean? Like, I wasn't paying attention. Yeah, except, but, oh, yeah. Except, yeah, Jeff, do you want me to do you want me to tell you how bullshit that got? Please, I actually I feel so like this is 52, mm-hmm. So the new Fifty Two Superman mm-hmm. was the new Fifty Two Superman. Convergence then brings back the post-crisis pre-New 52 Superman and sticks them in the New 52 universe. Right. Then, before Rebirth, they kill off the New 52 Superman, leaving 
the post-crisis Superman as Superman, but he is now at least five years older than the Superman previously was, if not closer to ten. Right. So they significantly aged up Superman without really doing anything about it. Mm-hmm. Then you had six months, eight months of rebirth stories in which it is clear and it is stated all, like more than once that this is a Superman from a different reality and he's just pretending to be a Superman. And actually they did even more of it with Lois. Well, see, like, that's the one that's also – it's not just Clark. It's also Lois, right? So Yeah. yeah okay. And so they, they have um, they have like an entire storyline in Action Comics where Lois has to pretend to be herself from a different reality. Mm-hmm. And people are like, your hair is different. She's like, yeah, I dyed it. And all, it, it's simultaneously thinking things like like they're buying it. None of them are noticing I'm noticeably older right. than the Lois Lane of this universe. So they, so they lean into it, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And during all of this, you have hints of like, you know, someone knows, blah, 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 blah. And then you get the Superman Reborn arc mm-hmm. where it's Mr. Mixel Pitlick, uh, who is now not the Grant Morrison Mr. Mixel Pitlick, who was theoretically the New 52 one. It's the pre-New 52 Mr. Mixel Pitlick somehow. Wow. Um, who basically is like, ha ha, fuck you, you abandoned me. Um, I'm fucking with you. And that ends by rewriting all of Superman's timeline so there is no Superman from a different universe. It's always been that Superman. Oh, boy. Which is a fucking mess. Wow. Like, it really is. It's a, like, I can see that they thought they were simplifying it, but they really weren't. See, now, and this they, is it. They fucked up all these other comics. Let me tell you, Graham. I'm going to call it now. Like, this and this is how screwed up DC will do this. They're going to get their timeline. They're going to have their like DC reborn renewed issue one, and at the end of it, the new scary super bad villain is going to be the new Fifty Two Superman who has come back to take revenge for being kicked out of his own timeline. You know? No, because he was dead. It's the like, new Fifty Two Lois he... Lane. When... <laughs> Who was also dead. Ah! That was the start of the Superwoman book at Rebirth. Oh, right. They sold it. They they literally sold it. It's like, it's Lois with superpowers. And then the first issue, she dies. Right. And then it's Lana Lang, who's really Superwoman. Yeah, that's true. I remember that. Um, No, but like, here's the thing. You're you're wrong in that it's not going to be those characters. But you're not wrong in that there's going to be like DC Rebirth squared. DC Rebirth 2. Right. Put crisis on DC Rebirth, whatever. And it's, going be, it's going to be like a one shot, and it's going to be like, here's the new universe, and it's going to set everything up. Yeah. And then it is going to end with a, but guess what? Mm-hmm. There's this bad guy. And it doesn't even have to be a, this guy, bad guy remembers the continuity. It's just going to be, there's a bad guy, and he's got a plan. Keep watching the skies. Maybe they're red. Because that's. <laughs> That's the format of these stories now. And I swear to God, it doesn't have to be, and I wish it wasn't. Yes, I agree. I agree. Again, to get back to some of this stuff that we were talking about, there is that swinging from event to event and branch to branch. Um, I know that the the comic book creators always talk about, like, yeah, you can't have a jumping off point. I mean, you know, sure, uh, just endless renumbering of series, but you can't really... Stop for one second. You can't let people get complacent because it's always about this increasing set of stakes. But I'm like, 
but maybe you can. Like, maybe it would be nice to have, like, an actual well, solid uh, ending ending. Sure, you know? but also, like, say they do, like, DC Rebirth 2, whatever. Right. That's not a jumping off point. It's literally a starting point. Yes. Like, DC Rebirth, uh, what's it called? DC Universe Rebirth. The right. the one shot, the 80-page one shot. Mm-hmm. Right? Is you take away the Watchmen bit at the end. Oh, Right. Sure, Graham. No, take, no, but no, really. Take that away. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sure. And that is a book that feeds into all the other books. Mm-hmm. It's not a jumping-off point at all. Uh, I agree. It's literally with you. your start. Yeah, right. Right. But then you literally have the hop oh, and look what's in Batman's Batcave wall. Right. Oh no! And look, it's the bit at the end where nothing ever ends. Oh, look, it's a watch being built. Did we say Watchmen? You know, I just. <laughs> Like, again, it's funny. At the time, like I was, I was into that. I was excited by that, and oh. honestly, like, I still kind of am as sure. a theory. Yeah, but also, like, just knowing that that's the formula now, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That the formula is. I mean, because it's funny. I was, I, I was, because apparently, I'm a maskist rereading Forever Evil the other week. Wow. Uh, it, <laughs> this sounds terrible, and it sounds worse than it's supposed to, and it's not meant to. I was keeping it in the bathroom. But I genuinely forgot that it gets to the end of it and then it literally ends with the anti-monitor reveal. And, it, and he's there being right. like, wait until the Nets cross over. Yeah. You know, and that leads into the Justice, uh, Justice the, the Dark Side War. Yeah, Dark right? Side War and Justice League. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, Dark Side War leads like literally ends with like and everything's all over apart from the last page. Oh look, here's Metrian's chair. Blah 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 blah. Look, we've got it. We've got ultimate power now. We've been zapped by a blue guy, which yeah. leads into DC Universe. And it's you can you can end stories because you can end stories by making them openers for other stories without literally ending it with a to be continued it's it's the it, it's the post-credit sequence itis of yes and it's it's fucking exhausting yeah, yeah. you can literally end a story by leaving things open-ending and leaving people wanting more without actually ending by going but wait like i saw um spider-man far from home mm-hmm. the other week finally um I really liked it. I think it's a great film. Yeah, like it's I very really, fun. Really liked it. That as much as I love J.K. Simpson's as J. Jonah Jameson. Yeah, I hate that scene at the end. Oh, I hate it so much. I hate, yeah. hate it with a passion. Yeah. Yep. Because it, it, like, it actually kind of ruins the film for me. Yeah, I know what you mean. I spend his because I just I had a sour taste in my mouth after mm-hmm. that, and I was like, "Fuck you, fuckers!" Yeah, I really enjoyed this film, and that is so just bad and unnecessary and I, it really like it legitimately made me go well maybe i don't like this film <laughs> i'm serious like i really did go you fuckers you fucked the film you yeah. really ruined it no i agree i totally agree as opposed to um into spider-verse has mm-hmm. a great post-credit sequence oh yeah because it does open up another adventure here's mm-hmm. spider-man 2099 he's traveling through but it does so by opening it and then going into a joke we'll see that's it i mean i, right? lo- I that is such a great piss take on post-credit sequences that just i 
I adore that ending so much. And there are the people at the end of it who are laughing and they don't know why. And there are the people who are laughing because they know exactly why, you know, and it just, yeah. oh my it's, God. It's such, I mean, Into the Spider-Verse is just a very good film. Yes. Uh, and and b- even beyond the fact that, like, visually it's fucking staggering. Yeah. People who write superhero films should be picking it apart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, completely. It basically it meets all the criteria that people expect from superhero film, mm-hmm. but but pivots almost all of them in such a way that it doesn't fulfill the cliche, right? And doesn't hit the same emotional beats. You know, right? it, it's I, such a it's such a smart film. Uh, and I I just just to 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 um, spin off that because you're I a I agree. B, I was hugely relieved when the tweet went out that they were doing a sequel to it, um, that there were other people on Twitter who were like, I'm kind of nervous because the first one's so perfect. It's kind of hard to believe that they can capture lightning. Yeah, twice. Like, it's just that thing of like, it just risks diminishing how perfect the first film is. Uh, What's really funny is it's so far out. mm Mm-hmm. That I'm like, I actually have more faith that they're not rushing it. Well, yeah. You know I mean, like three years away. Well, yeah. I mean, that's that feels really close to me for an animated movie. Frankly, I would be, I would feel more comfortable if it was four. But you might be right. I mean, interestingly enough, I also found myself being like, what can you do? Like, for me, as we've talked about, one of the things that I really love of about into the spider verse is, is that it is very much a movie about uh, metaphorically and thematically about creators, about a group of creators helping someone achieve their creative potential and learning to have the trust in themselves to, to, to essentially join that community, to become a creator, you know? And, I'm I'm sort of like, where do you go from that? You know what I mean? Like, because to me, that's sort of that's part of how to, so many of the choices into into the Spider Verse, why they make so many of the choices that they do, why they play up certain angles and downplay other angles. Uh, and I just find myself being like, oh yeah, but where do you where do you go once you've ended with uh, the character? accepting themselves you know particularly as the characters accepted themselves for who they are and now they can become an artist like where where do you go after that like i actually have a weird theory uh which isn't nearly as good as my secret year crossover but we'll but, we'll but tell me well i was thinking that what they might do is so you know the first movie miles becomes spider-man he's becomes a creative a creative individual, I feel like yes. the next step in a creative individual's life is more or less kind of entering the marketplace, so to speak. Um, and I, and, or being able to retain your individuality in the face of the various negotiations and compromise you sort of have to make. So it, at the risk of ripping off, um, Grant Morrison's uh, action comics too much. I'm wondering if they're going to do something where the uh, Morlin and the vampire dudes, who I just 
fucking hate so much come back would come you know are in the sequel but they're essentially um kind of artistic parasites like they basically mm-hmm. represent work for hire so the idea is is that they consume these spider men and drain them and turn them into homogenous product and then it's miles fighting against uh, essentially corporate um what's the word absorption i suppose you know and trying to find a way in which he can be him and his individuality manages to trump corporateness but the weird part being like but sort of where do you go with that and of course since it's kind of a sony movie there's probably going to be i don't know they could probably pull it off but i was like that's kind of the only place i can kind of see them going with it and I don't necessarily say that I like that idea, not not like the secret year stuff, but I'm like, well, at least it's an idea. But I don't know. Into the I, I, I thought I thought they were going to go to the much more obvious place of Miles is the one who has to be the mentor. Oh, to to some other that which yeah that could that would make sense yeah like yeah. that that seemed the obvious next step to me. Mm-hmm. The Miles still being uncertain about his like you know now he's Spider Man but how do you do Spider Man has to be a mentor figure for someone else right. Right, while still trying to, yeah, that that extent of trying to, yeah, maybe, I that I, that that would probably work as well. It's not as interesting as yours. Eh, I, I don't know. We'll, I we'll, mean, it's, it's ultimately not. It's the more straightforward. It's the more mainstream. Right. But it's 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 not as interesting as yours. Like there there's something more interesting in keeping the analogy of uh, anyone can be a Spider Man, but what that means is essentially owning your own creative identity yeah um like there's more there's more narrative juice in that oh yeah because because miles miles being a mentor figure follows the the thematic of of into the spider-verse right but at the same time it's not as interesting because it forces him into a senior role too quickly and also we've seen other characters mentor him Right. So it's literally just repeating the same story with by moving the figures around. Right. Well, unless there is, because I think one of the things that's fun about Into the Spider Verse is, it it is it is a it's a story told by creative people about creative the creative work, and it's very welcoming and inviting. And I don't know, but I'm I'm assuming that there are stages for artists where you do start teaching or inspiring or mentoring other people, but you still don't have your shit figured out, you know? And again, it kind of gets a little bit back into the, I feel like they touch on that a little bit in the first movie in a, in a very good way, but I don't know. We, we will see all of a sudden I'm like, Oh wait, but if they make one of the Morlons one of the evil vampire characters more like Stan Lee and the other one, like Steve Ditko, you know, like where Steve Ditko is like the <laughs> mysterious, but like not necessarily very sane uh, new figure. And maybe both of them like as maybe as different versions of a Spider-Man, you know, like a Spider-Man that sort of I feel was like part of the system and Spider-Man who wasn't part of the system. You know, I, did you read like the comic Spider-Verses? Because you're, you're like name dropping Merlin who... You know, I try my best not to think about it. To be fair. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, uh, I, I, 
I tried, Graham. I tried. Like, you may remember there was that they Dance Lot Spider Verse was collected in this huge, yeah, massive, massive hardcover. And it was um, listed on Amazon on a pre-order like eight months out at like $6 or something. And Bleeding Cool reported on it. And I was like, cool. And I actually pre-ordered that. And and then when they shipped it to me, I, I really think that they were like, oh, fuck. We sold like 500,000 of these Spider-Verse hardcovers. Um, and we have... Uh, but at $6 a piece, we're losing tons of money. Let's not even put any production into this at all. Like it's 1500 pages and they don't give you a reading order for it. That makes any sense whatsoever. They're like, we're not doing it in chronological order. Fuck you. No, we're, we're ordering it by the series or something. I don't remember. I just remember that that was such a painful read. Like I've never read a worse collected crossover event like shit would happen and you would find out 300 pages later why and it wow. was yeah just just atrocious that's that's terrible Jeff. yeah yeah i really like that i'm firmly convinced that that because of that screw up they're like eh fuck it i really would have preferred to have read it on like marvel universe or something like that but having read the jms stories and then reading the spider-verse story and knowing that morlin and his dumbass family of dumbass you know the characters that nobody i'm convinced nobody likes at all not even not even the character not even the people writing those characters were like oh good a cosmic super powered vampire again you know what i mean i'm just like Bleh. but it, it seems so like amazingly anti spider-man mm-hmm. and a lot of jms's spider-man uh quote-unquote you know, evolutionary ideas yeah. were, uh, you know, really made it feel like he wanted to be writing Swamp Thing. Yeah, well, he wanted to be Alan Moore and he wanted to be writing Swamp Thing. Yeah, that was it. It was Alan Moore's Swamp Thing as Spider-Man. And he's like, no, but it's genius because there's a super thing that's killing off all the Spider-Men, not like Swamp Thing, you know. And it was like, ugh, no. But wait until the big super powerful showdown where – he beats him by the power of his Peter Parkerness, or I don't know. Again, I read those fucking stories. I mean, I'm right? convinced. Right, right. So part of me is like the idea of invoking that uh, is horrible to me. On the other hand, vampires as you know a shorthand for uh, capitalism uh, and for especially a, a form of corporate, um, you know blood sucking desaturating you know is is i think uh, it it could work it could work those guys could work on it they could do it you yeah, know. like it works i I'm, I'm fine with it yeah i mean i i really do hope that it's going to be like spider-verse 2 is going to be like no spider gwen decides to throw a beach party and invites everyone to it, it and then absolutely wonderful wouldn't it yeah yeah and they're like spider-verse 2 it's literally nothing like what you expect. Yeah, exactly. Spider-Verse 2 is all about Gwen is just like, you know, taking it easy and she's dating Miles. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then just uh, Spider-Pig comes over for a visit at the end. Yeah. I basically want it to be wet, hot American summer, but with Spider-Man characters. That's, that's basically what I want. So. I mean, 
I'm done. <laughs> uh, you know, one of the reasons why I was actually thinking about some of this has to do with the eight volumes of uh, Japanese manga that I mainlined this week. Um, what eight volumes while you were in altered states, Jeff? Tell me about them. I I will. I read the first eight volumes of Initial D, which um, uh, Initial D is actually a hugely successful manga. Um, yes, I've actually heard of it, Jeff, which yes. shows how, how actually popular it is, as opposed to the point you're like, it's, you know, it's about someone who's in a strange BDSM relationship, but they like wine and he thinks he's a bottle. Like, I could. I've oh heard of, my god! I, is that such, if you tell me that's actually a comic you've read? That is so <laughs> a comic that I've read. No, I just I love the idea of like, <laughs> I'm like Graham. We have to have an episode where you make up manga because you don't really read so much of it, but you listen to me all the time. Your description sounded insane. I was like, I want to read that right now. Shoot that right into my eyeball. You know. What's uh, so, the name be though, Jeff? That's what I want to know. Okay, uh, let's unpack this again. BDSM relationship. Uh, something about, what was it about the wine? She's into wine. He thinks he's a bottle. Oh, nice. Um, genie in my bottle. And genie <laughs> might be spelled G-E-N-I or maybe J-E-A-N-N-I-E. Genie in my bottle. That's what I would call it. Yeah. Um, Viz, if you're listening, Jeff is available to write this. <laughs> and Jeff will write this for free. Absolutely. And I will also read it for free or maybe I'll pay because I think I'll be the only one willing to do so. But nonetheless. So, yeah. Initial D, which I had heard shit tons about, you know, way back when. An incredibly successful uh, manga written and illustrated by... Uh, uh, Shuichi Shigeno, and apparently it was serialized in Weekly Young magazine from 1995 to 2013. There are 48 volumes of this shit, and the anime was hugely successful. And on top of all of this, um, from what I can tell, this was all a, an incredible influence on Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift, where the advisor on Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift was the same technical advisor for uh, Shigeno for Initial D. So when it hit uh, Comixology Unlimited, like several months back, I was like, holy shit, I'm going to tear through this thing. And I, I made it maybe 15 pages in and put it down and was like, I, I doubt I'll ever read this. Oh, God, why? Well, so it's the weirdest thing. It, I picked, picked it up and I was like, it seemed really amateurish. Like the art seemed really kind of, uh, it, it seemed really kind of stiff and sketchy and i thought people's faces were kind of meh and honestly I, once they started i don't even remember if there was some car stuff happening i think there was but i was just kind of flipping through it being like this seems like incredibly amateurish like and kind of dull and kind of that weird like i don't know why this hit as big as it did but whatever i was expecting a much more uh polished manga you know and so what was interesting about coming back to it this week 
was starting that again. And A, uh, all of those things that seemed like weaknesses, as the book goes on, kind of become strengths to it. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And B, I think uh, it's quite possible that Shigeno, um, what he really did was he crafted kind of, to me, like a really brilliant take on what you think the manga series would be. So Initial D takes place in the Gunma Prefecture, which is another reason why I thought I was going to just be all over this because Edie and I, when we went to Japan, we ended up spending like close to a week out in the Gunma Prefecture because we were, we'd gone out to like one of the super big onsens that's incredibly, you know, well known as one of the best in Japan. And then afterwards we spent time in this little village and there was all sorts of amazing stories. So we had a lot of, um, love for Gunma. So I was like, Oh, I'm really going to be in this. Gunma is this little, uh, prefecture that's center of Japan. It's set in this area where it's basically all these small towns far away from everything else. And, part of how why the story ends up working for me in a way is that weird amateurish art kind of helps give it that feel of this isn't a polished manga this is a manga about characters who are out in the middle of nowhere kind of with nothing to do like it's not nothing's professional these aren't professional racers these are it's about amateur street racers but one of the things that's pretty great about initial d is the way that he sets it up rather than having it be the there's so much manga particularly um that a is all about competing with one another and uh b coming up with a way to have your main character be the best um or have the potential to be the best better than anyone and there's a few different tacks that manga creators take about this and one of the things that they usually do is um, the one that I feel is really tends to be in vogue is here's here is a goofy character who wants to be the absolute best because of an incident that happened to them at the young age. And so they want to be the best pirate fighter donut eater, you know, sure, whatever that the, yeah. that the province has ever seen. And they're, you know, they're indefatigable um uh, excitement and joy and desire to win even in the face of impossible odds is inspiring and mot- motivates everyone else to be totally down with them. Like the, the 30 some odd volumes I read of haiku, or maybe it was only like 18 volumes before I got distracted, very much follow that template. And in fact, there's like two characters who want to be the best. And the, the, the brilliant spin is they are opponents in the first chapter of the manga. And then in the second chapter, they they end up on the same team together. So then they're forced to work together and hijinks ensue. But (laughs) initial D, one of the things that's really great about it is you have all of these kids who have, uh, who basically just want to get a car and be able to drive and race through the mountains. It's all about mountain racing and it's all about being able to drift through the turns and being able to be like the super best boss uh, racer. And there's, 
And there is a mysterious character who is driving the hills at night, who is like the phantom racer and it's the best racer anyone ever sees. And nobody like everyone wants to know who this guy is. And meanwhile, there's this one character who is the friend of all the car fanatics who kind of wants his own car, but he's, he's like more interested in girls. He doesn't have any interest in racing. And so one of the things that's great about the first five chapters of initial D is it's basically a superhero comic because the kid who doesn't care about it is basically Clark Kent and it's Superman who's racing out in the hills at night. The nice twist is he doesn't make a big deal out of it because he doesn't even know he's Superman. You know, what has happened is his dad, who was the best racer in the prefecture, grows up is you know, essentially gone nowhere with his life and op has opened a tofu shop. He makes his kid, since the age of 13, drive the tofu deliveries like at 3 a.m. It's like it's like his paper route. So this kid from the age of 13 learns to drive all these hills. And because he's in a hurry to just get it over with and get to work, he ends up becoming day, driving day after day after day. He becomes the best racer of that area that anyone has ever seen. So part of what makes Initial D really work is this genius way into the manga story of everything gets flipped on its butt in the in the way that the the hero manages to be the best because he's had years of training but he doesn't even know it and he's a reluctant racer and but meanwhile of course you still get all the oh my god he totally knows how to do the blah blah and yada yada and it's smackada smackada and so as the story grows and grows and grows, he's kind of like, well, do I want to be a racer? And everyone's like, don't you have pride in what you do? He's like, I kind of just want to get with this girl, you know? And then, then he's like, well, maybe I want to race, but I don't even have my own car. And it, they, what I think is really ends up being a lot of fun about initial D is, is that the, is um, Shigeno gives so much thought in how, to maneuver you into that universe into a way that you're kind of um, off one foot a little bit. And that's such yeah. an important thing, especially for manga, because as time goes on, it's it's so much of it is just as codified as superhero comics, if not more so. So, but because he's, because he is the best racer, but he doesn't know anything about cars you have a perfect reason for the beloved manga info dump as to what the name of the cars are and why people are doing the things that they do. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Why he, he has to learn at the same time you do. Right, exactly. What, what this world is, why it's happening, like the whole shebang. Right. I mean, it makes sense. It's, it's a, is graceful the right word? I'm not entirely sure, but it's, yeah. it's, it, it does make sense. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that really graceful, unique way into the narrative. But I was also struck by, because of course, you know, for the first couple of chapters, I'm like, oh shit, he kind of, it's kind of this weird superhero kind of angle, you know, and it goes on to other places. And I, like I said, I'm eight volumes in and I had, the other thing that I thought was also pretty impressive is 
he makes uh, Shigeno makes you get most of the way through the first volume until you finally kind of get a race. And I don't remember if it breaks across volumes into volume two, but like by the time you hit volume seven, uh, Tech, the main character, has had it's like seven volumes and five races. So a there's ridiculous amount of pages in that put into the racing scenes. Like he just really spreads it out, but he, there's a much more sedate pace. There's a lot of stuff that is, um, I mean, it's not, don't get me wrong. You're not going to mistake it for like, a, a a great slice of life, life comic with like crazy racing drunk, you know, thrown in, but it is, um, it is unexpected enough. Like, you know, there's the, the female character that's interested the there's a female protagonist, the, the, the female romantic interest is interested in the lead. And she's pretty much interested in him from the first book, the first chapter. And he's kind of can't figure out why, like his, his obliviousness and his cluelessness, it's not it's not necessarily played up in the crazy comedic hijinks thing, but you know, we're seven volumes in, and part of her big secret that we find out in chapter one is she's a little bit of a um she has a sugar daddy. She's been seeing an older man who it seems is probably a romantic interest. The conversation definitely makes it sound like she's he is her lover and and it's seven or eight volumes in and you don't they don't know there's there's it hasn't even come close like it's weird that there's this um the usually with manga it feels like Chekhov's gun is there in act one it goes off in like act eight or act nine but only after, you know, Chekhov's atomic bomb gets introduced in chapter seven, you know. Sure. So that, yeah. Yeah. You yeah, know, there's, there's the constant uh, escalation. <clears throat> right. Exactly. So there, there's always things are being moved in. So there there is kind of a sense of um, he's wanting to tell stories about these characters that maybe just isn't about. Uh, cars a little bit or he wants to do character studies whether or not he's actually good about it it good at that is is kind of up for grabs but one of the things that is great is as the stories go on the raggedness of the art just to me really ends up suiting the kind of nuts and bolts like it looks like everything's like his his sort of shaky hand with the art pays off so well when it comes to the racing scenes because it just kind of looks like everything's going to fall apart and also his strengths also come to the foreground like you realize how like how bad he might be at anatomy is completely counterbalanced by how good he is at body language like Mm -hmm. I haven't looked into it, but it wouldn't surprise me if Shigeno is one of those artists who did a lot of um, manga humor comics before Initial D because characters, I I know that it's always kind of a weird break for you when, um, uh, you know, characters become the chibi versions of themselves, you know, the weird, quickly caricatured, big eyed things. He does that 
like to the point where it's practically the default like two or three of the supporting characters look um totally look like comedic comedic manga ish sketchy types all the time and um and you're like uh, it, it shouldn't it shouldn't it shouldn't work, honestly, but at least for like, the first eight volumes, it, does. it really did. So, yeah, for people with Comixology Unlimited, if, like me, you gave it a try and tapped out, give it a try again. It's a surprising um, – I, I can't imagine that I'm going to make it through all 40 volumes. But that being said, I really didn't think that I would be uh, at volume eight in basically less than a week. So go figure. Uh, I'm curious about you said like a scratchy art. Is it intentionally scratchy, or is it that he is not good and gets better? Uh, I, I well, okay. So I think I think there's a there's a couple of different factors there. I think that he, from what I can tell, he looks like a guy who is drawing in pencil, um, mm-hmm. and so he does a lot of um, pencil shadings in things, and so it gives it that kind of uh, sketchbook look. Uh, which can be really um, can be very effective if I guess if everything else sort of comes together. Like I said, I felt like some of the there's times where people's faces look off, or really it's kind of the anatomy. It's a little bit of that. Um, uh, sometimes uh, the the amount of shading in the foreground feels a little too heavy. Like, you know how artists, before they kind of get good, they, th- they it's like there's too much in there and they have to start learning what to leave out, I guess. Yeah, um, yeah. I feel like there's a lot of that. And in a way, I'm not necessarily sure if it, if he necessarily gets better. I think it's just, it's his style is his style, but again, I think it really works well for a bunch of characters out in the middle of nowhere because initial D in a way, the art really feels like this is something that you are reading out of somebody's sketchbook. Sure. You know? And so it's got a real lo-fi feel to it that, like I said, matches up weirdly perfectly with the size and the scope of, of the story that they're telling. But Every once in a while, you'll also see, like, he has characters where he does a lot of, um, there's so many racers, uh, of course, because there's different racing associations, I guess. And so you get to see all these characters. And honestly, I don't think that I care very much about them. But one of the things that's really nice is, A, he's got a good, when he does his, his, uh, close-ups on his characters his characters look like real people not like anime or manga versions of classic character types you know Mm -hmm. so that's helpful and then of course as as i think i i feel like i feel like manga artists are usually better at this any anyway but he's got a really good eye for the way his characters dress expresses a lot of character like it's very much looking at that stuff i'm like oh yeah that that does strike me as the way people used to dress in like 1997 or 1998 sure yeah kind of the you know t-shirt tucked into the tight pants and kind of bagging a bit you know and um it's so 
so even in it, there's like these flashes of things where it's like, oh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm being too harsh. It's just an incredibly uh, sort of an acquired taste and or he's working very much in the style that he wants to. But it is that classic, whether it's choices or, you know, through what seems to me to be a lot of choices, either his weaknesses or his preferences are tied into the way that the story that he's telling to, to perfectly accentuate it. So um, it's in that sense, it's a, it, it can be maybe a little bit more of an interesting story for me to study than to uh, like, I'm not always, emo- I'm, I, I'm not really emotionally engrossed in it at all. Like part. Yeah. You're, you're interested in it as opposed to necessarily enjoying it. Yeah. Like I'm, I, I'm, it's, it's, to me, there's so much more interesting. The, the presentation of it is fascinating. Although that being said, I have watched a surprisingly number high number of uh, drifting uh, videos on YouTube, like people's like all time best drifting compilation, where you see cars like you know drifting through corners and things. And I'm like, Meh. that's just you preparing for your Fast and the Furious marathon. <laughs> I have to say, I did almost watch Tokyo Drift the other night. I was like, I got, I got to watch this. I've never, you know, watch them all in, in uh, continuity order, not release order. Oh, absolutely, Graham. What do you, what do you think I am? I'm just saying, like, don't, don't confuse yourself. <laughs> don't make the mistake that people make with the Marvel movies, Jeff. <laughs> So, Graham, I feel like once again, I've been like, um, you know, the podcast equivalent of like holding you down and shouting at you. What what have you been reading? I enjoyed it, Jeff. Uh, It's funny you were talking about appreciating something more than liking it or like uh, analyzing it more. I've been reading a lot of um, Nikolai Dante from 2008 which is a strip that just doesn't work for me Mm -hmm. and i don't know why it doesn't work for me and there's something about my curiosity about why is this not working that has led me through three collections wow wow um and it's i think ultimately comes down to it's trying too hard Mm -hmm. and it was created and exists in a period of 2080 when 2080 was trying too hard Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. And so there's an awful lot of like, no, really, he fucks. Do you get it? He fucks. Right. Look, there's some tits. Do you get it? He fucks. Because it's, it's, you know, it's not even double entendres. It's literally single entendres all the way through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and they're, they, they play it far too hard. They lean far too much on the catchphrases. You know, it's, it's this weird thing that feels very self-conscious, like, flop sweat about let's try and make a 2080 hit how do we do it yeah 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 that, that it does feel like that the few times that i i've read nikolai dante is kind of that weird but it went on for years jeff is the thing like well see that's it, it was a must hit. really like it yeah, yeah. it um, was a hit mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh and it did it continued for years and years and years and so that's like the what am i missing or am i not missing anything Mm-hmm. has really carried me through a lot of it. Mm. And it's not that I'm enjoying it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not that I'm not enjoying either, but like my takeaway from almost every volume is the art's nice, but the writing is overworked, mm-hmm. you know, just continually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's, it feels very 
it does. It feels very like self conscious and anxious. Mm. You know, like please like me, please like me. Mm. No, really. What What do you need from me? I I can do it. What What do you want? Right. Um, and and the way it borrows from different two thousand AD strips is fascinating as well. Mm. Like in many ways, it's a rogue troopery, right? Because mm. he has a weaponized, he has a, a cybernetic crest on his arm that talks to him. Mm-hmm. So it's it's rogue in the biochips again. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's again. It's Rogue and the Biochips should not work, but works in the in the original uh, Rogue Trooper because it it it, it was created as a, an expositionary device. Mm-hmm. It exists to to have Rogue have someone to talk to, right? So it's not literally just like either continually narrating to himself or talking to himself, being like, "I'm walking through the chem swamp," right? You know, this is bad for my GI skin. I still remember when I died. Instead, you have, you know, Helm being like, watch out, Rogue. It's a chem swamp. Isn't this bad for your skin? Which isn't much better, and yet somehow is. Well, but but because I think the genius of Rogue Trooper and the biochips is the someone very smartly was like, okay, you've got one guy but the real appeal of a war movie is the camaraderie between, uh, uh, you know, of the fellow soldiers. And so the Rogue Trooper, part of why, it, to me, it's still just like a big old pile of money waiting to, to be poured over into, you know, 2000 AD's coffers when someone figures out how to do it in a way that, you know, will knock everyone on their ass is that you've got the... The dude who has the friendships with the guys that he loves, but they're all but they're all dead. You know what I mean? Like that's such a genius idea. They're there, yeah, but they're not. He's literally and... talking his ghost. Yes, yeah. exactly. And yet, and yet, it manages to happen in real time and not be flashbacks. And it's it's just so good. If Nikolai Dante, I see. It sounds like he just has one tattoo i mean is it just one personality in him it's what well, yeah no it's it's one personality in him and like yeah. there's an awful lot of there's an awful lot of sporting characters in yeah. nikolai dante nikolai dante is it really is like it's trying so hard bless it it's trying so hard yeah um it's filled with honestly an overcomplicated cast mm-hmm. uh where every single relationship is nonetheless two-dimensional Nikolai Dante, my read on it, and it was very quick, struck me as someone trying to write the apex of, like, what is the strip that Chris Claremont would like the most without it actually succeeding, being written by Chris Claremont? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> wow, I, I, I. I'm floored by that, Jeff. Please unpack that. Well, uh, so so there is a uh, period. Chris Claremont and particularly Cockrum and Claremont have a love of the dashing rogue with swagger, right? And it comes up a lot in Uncanny X-Men. And one of the things that's kind of genius about it, I think, one of the things that was super brilliant was by putting the dashing rogue in the shape of Nightcrawler and A, escaping the, oh, look at me, I'm a monster trope, 
but instead having him dash about and be like, ha ha is, you know, is, is that he doesn't, he doesn't look like he should be doing that. So you don't have the obnoxiousness of it. But Nikolai Dante does strike me as slightly obnoxious because here's the guy who sort of jumps about with his, you know, shirt down to his balls going, ha ha. And again, he's got some sort of biomechanical equivalent thing that chirps exposition at him while he proceeds to um, malady his way through a bunch of people (laughs) that should know better. Oh God, he really does milady his way through as well. That is the greatest description. <laughs> so, so it always strikes me, and who knows, maybe I saw something else, but it just it really struck me as a character that, like, someone who really was like, I want to figure out a way to turn Corsair from the Star Jammers into a 2000 AD character, um, and then somehow ignored the fact that that was going to end up being utter shit like and then did it and just and everyone somehow seemed to miss that point but whenever and i haven't read a lot of him but every time i read it i'm like it gives me that same slightly skeevy feeling that and i'm i have to apologize for a huge chunk of the audience i apologize now but sort of the same way that the gorgeous looking but creepily onanistic uh claremont davis excalibur reads for me you know like i'm just kind of like it's just it's it's as the kids say it's just cringe you know so so that's as close as i can come to unpacking what i'm my shorthand grab I'm glad we got there with it's just Creighton Charber. Jeff, <laughs> I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna completely change the subject and get back to the fact that I bought Destroyer Duck issue one today. Oh you motherfucker. Ah that's great. Uh, I was at the Frankenstein Comics Club. Now I'm not I'm not incorrect in saying that you've been looking for this comic for a while, right? Yes. I have very few issues of Destroyer Duck. It is one of the few titles that I'm actually trying to still collect i think i have two three and seven maybe and one yeah oh my god you bastard so did you read it or are you just gonna gloat about you're going to you're going to be more upset when you find out that i paid three dollars for oh god oh god yeah i know i was actually kind of stunned i got that and 2001 issue five which Mm. is the the comicsville issue yes Yes. Yeah, I I got those two for like seven dollars. That is that is which is I, nuts to me. Like genuinely, I hate you. From I hate a you. dealer who seemed to be exclusively selling Kirby stuff. Holy he shit! He had it seemed to be the entire run of Commandy. Oh god. Uh, he had a bunch of two thousand one. The early issues of two thousand one, he was selling for a lot of money, Jeff. I'm sure a lot of money. Really? I couldn't. Yeah, I could not get over Destroyer Doc for so cheap. Could not. Um, it's insane. Is it? Isn't it it's... illegal to sell comics for a lot of money at the Frankenstein Comic Swap? Isn't that kind of like? I mean, it's it's a uh, no. It's not. First of all, okay. Uh, it, it's it's just that I tend to go for the super cheap ones. Of course, yeah. Uh, but it's it, you can sell them for whatever you can right, sell of them course. for whatever the fuck you want. Right. Um. What's funny is because you always get it because so for people who who 
have either he- never heard us talk about the Frankenstein comic swap before or have just forgotten. The Frankenstein comic swap happens, I think it's every three or four months here in Portland. Yeah. And it is, they take over an Eagle Lodge for a morning. <laughs> Sorry, an afternoon. It starts at 11 and it finishes at like four. Wow. And it's literally anyone who wants to can come and sell comics. What is nuts about it is continually, it is roughly 50-50 comics dealers and people who just have a lot of comics. Yeah. And so I, I also got the what I thought was the last issue of the Conway New Gods. And mm. I was wrong. Fucking damn it. I still <laughs> wanted you to get. Um, but I got it from it's, uh, Adventure Comics 460. Which is like the second of the the like the anthology issues, mm-hmm. um, which I've only ever seen online for like you know thirty forty dollars, and again I got it from her from like for like three fifty. Yeah, and I was like, holy shit! I've been looking for this for years. And she goes, yeah, my husband like he buys comics, and he just went to a garage sale, and this guy had a whole collection, so we bought the whole thing, and we're just selling it. Mm. And I was like, what? Yeah. That's nuts, but that's but that's like half of the dealers, yes, right? So no, you end up right. getting mm-hmm. astonishing deals. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other thing is, you never have any idea what's going to be there. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes it's great, sometimes it's shit. Mm-hmm. You honestly have no idea. You just show up and hope for the best. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, there's always things like each one. There seems to be like a new trend of like I guess a lot of these have entered the market. Mm. Right, there's always ones you just see a lot, uh-huh. uh, and so that's that was kind of funny. Like this this uh, year, there was a lot of like, a lot of really recent comics. A lot of people are selling off what seems to be like overstock from mm. from you know the last year or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also there was a I mean a shit ton of Justice League Europe's, hmm. but roughly the same issues, which was kind of weird. Hmm. Um, there were also a lot of, um, shit, what was the thing I kept seeing? I can't remember. Damn it, it's gone. But there was one title that just kept popping up a lot. There was also a lot, hilariously, of the saga of Crystar, which I almost bought a full run of before I realized it wasn't a full run, and so I didn't get. Ah, that's so funny. But they had, yeah. they had all but one issue, and if they had that issue, I would have bought the fuckers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, because that's the other thing. You you make poor choices at Frankenstein Comics Club. You're like, it's only 50 cents each. Okay, let's go. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, anyway, Destroyer Doc issue one is mm. is on several levels nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to go through the least obvious ones first, I did not realize there were so many stories by other people in there. I didn't either. Uh, there's about 20 pages of Gerber and Kirby. Mm-hmm. And it's Kirby inked by Alfredo Alcala. Yes. Is a very strange combination. Mm-hmm. A genuinely strange combination. Yeah. Uh, that potentially does a lot of favors to Kirby in this era because this is when he began to get a bit sketchy. Right. But also kind of kills the dynamism of Kirby a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, it is. There odd. are definitely mm-hmm. particular characters that are horrifically over rendered yes alcala goes way over the top Mm -hmm. and it it, is nuts but okay so there's that there's also there's two different great moments in comic book history backups (laughs) um by uh mark evanier and dan spiegel is one of them 
mm-hmm. and Marty Pasco and Joe Staten is the other one. Mm-hmm. Joe Staten inked by Scott Shaw. Weirdly oh, interesting. Enough. Interesting. Um, yeah. And both of them are uh, like true stories of the comic industry, but done with uh, the names changed. Right. Oh, so you're like, I wonder who this really is. Mm-hmm. Um, there is uh, Sherry Flankel, Flanagan? Yeah, Sherry who, Flanagan. Mm-hmm. Um, who contributes a two-pager called The Adventures of Thelma Iron Thighs, <laughs> which is um, it's one of those things where you're like, I'm sure in the underground days this would have been seen as progressive, but now it is genuinely offensive. Mm. <laughs> Uh, she defends the defenseless, helps the helpless, saves marriages, destroys egos, and she gets her way, is this, uh, it says. And it is a scantily clad woman who tries to stop a mugging, but does it by stomping her feet and hitting things until the mugger gives up because he's sick of her whining. Wow. Wow. Yeah. 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 Right? <laughs> um, there's four pages of Crew the Wanderer. Mm, wow. Well, okay, so I think uh, the missing part of this is, wasn't it at least the first issue of Destroyer it's Duck? To save, it's to say, uh, to raise money for the lawsuit. Yeah, for Kirby's yes. lawsuit against Marvel to get his art back. Right. Oh, is, for some reason I thought it was Gerber's lawsuit for Howard the Duck. Is it Kirby's lawsuit? For, uh, I interest? thought so, but maybe I'm, maybe I'm mistaken in that regard. Um, it is, it is arguably Gerber at some of his best. It is not Kirby at some of his best. Yes. Um, also Kirby doing like talking animals <laughs> just, it doesn't make sense at all. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just the thought. It's not his strong point at the slightest, but nonetheless, Gerber's utterly savage satire mm, mm-hmm. of, of is still astonishing. Yeah. Oh God, Grand. And also just... somehow even better now that Marvel's been bought by Disney. Yes. Oh God, I'm slobbery. This. Godcore. This is what. This is what. Godcore Limited Interopus Memo is the is the inside cover. Oh. Our people in legal concepts inform me that we initially believed, as as we initially believed. Ducks have no rights under the law, regardless of what vocal verbal ability they may possess. Accordingly, the little guy, as per my previous memo, shall henceforth be accorded all the respect ordinarily reserved for unruly chattel. It, the duck, is our property, to do with as we see fit. All contracts entered into and with the fowl are to be considered null and void. Salaries to be discontinued. All communications from its attorneys are to be ignored. Entertainment concepts may exhibit the little guy when and where and in whatever manner it chooses and at its sole discretion. Also, Howard shows up in this comic and dies. Yes. Yeah. He is the little buddy that, that, that destroyed ducks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's a little guy who, who shows up like beaten up and, 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 and staggers in and, and, and collapses dead. Mm Mm-hmm. And finished Duke, they opened me up like a gunny sack, poked around inside and never bothered to sew me back up. See Phil Lord, here's your here's your template for Into the Spider Verse two. <laughs> and and but like Gerber really is savage. So like that's Howard, and he talks about what happens when he went to the world where quote pink primates got the shots. Mm-hmm. He's he's like he's put into a live sex show. Oh my god! <laughs> you know, like it's it's they're not. You know, he he's really not subtle at all. 
Right. It's kind of amazing. You know, he signed on with Entertainment Concepts, the division of God Corp. <laughs> the corporation. They said they'd make me a story, flirt my curiosity value, but all they did was humiliate me. Mm. It's just, it's it's great. And then the, when when he's not uh, selling, in, when he's not a novelty anymore, they sell him to the medical division. Oh, wow. You know, it's it's really, really great. And go, you see a Kirby-drawn Godcorp post, poster at one point, which is Godcorp Limited and it's hand-squeezing the earth. Mm. And it just says, grab it all, own it all, trade it all. Oh, so right? good. So good. Yeah. It's, it's, it's great. Like the memo at the front has the Human Needs Division, which is Eating Concepts Limited, Meat Concepts Limited, Vegetation Concepts Limited, Dwelling Concepts Limited, Apparel Concepts Limited, Companionship Concepts Limited, Intimacy Concepts Limited, Devotional Concepts Limited, Behavioral Concepts Limited, Mercantile Concepts Limited, Sleep Concepts Limited, Mobility Concepts Limited, Medical Concepts Limited, Sewage Concepts Limited, and Death Concepts Limited. Wow. Mm-hmm. You know... And what's funny is, like, part of why I would love to get a hold of this is it's really just, it's only, and this is the genius of it, it's only really about, you know, a short walk down the street from the Forever People Disneyland issue, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, it's really close. It is, and like getting this on the two thousand and one issue. Mm-hmm. Oh, right, with Comic Town. Yeah, that is a perfect pairing because that is too. Oh my God, you're right. There is a there is a panel in the two thousand one thing which is great. So mm-hmm. so for people who haven't read this issue, uh, it starts off in Comicsville, which is essentially a, a theme park where people role play superheroes and get to be a hero, mm-hmm. uh, and the the Harvey Norton is the main character and he very early on touches the monolith the, the 2001 monolith which is like the the MacGuffin of the series but also the thing that forces people to evolve yes and so he has a very unpleasant experience in comics when he leaves and uh, the caption goes Harvey Norton discards the hollow glamour of the white zero and once again faces the drab reality of his existence. And he thinks, as Comicsville sinks into its own pretense, we say hello to the cheery, bustling, ever-growing metropolitan city of New York. I love that. As Comicsville sinks into its own pretense. Yeah. Yeah. It is it is beautiful. There's stuff in that I do. I remember reading those and just being knocked on my ass. Also, the yeah, White it, Zero is so good. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's it's so... So great, and it's it's so great because like it's it's Kirby, and Kirby is is full of concepts and ideas that literally aren't fully formed, right? Mm-hmm. So he touches all these things, and and he's just moving so fast. He's like ah, fucking whatever. So you have you know a, a building full of angry nerds wanting to be superheroes, but what breaks Norton out of the the game isn't. Ju- isn't touching the monolith because he's like this is a crazy part of the game it's when he saves the damsel in distress and she's fat and he can't accept it <laughs> and he's just like he's just like no no like like this this isn't right mm-hmm. this, this, this is where you know you dumb dumbs blue that's what get me the manager he says yeah right yeah, it's so good. It's you said so the right good. lines, but you're the wrong princess. Mm-hmm. Like, he sees her and he immediately goes, hold it, hold it, what's going on here? Yeah. It's so, like, 
it's so um like he, I don't even think he knew what he was doing. Do you know what I mean? But like he's he's right about that people those people. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like that's the thing that would break them out. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't the, this isn't the woman I fantasized about. Right. I, it's over. Like yeah. anything else, like we'll accept and incorporate into the fancy. Mm-hmm. But like this is this is the one thing. Mm-hmm. Like you've not you've not commoditized the right woman. Right. So that's it. I'm I'm fucking over. I, I'm over. And, and then you know, as Comicsville thinks into his own pretense, he can't accept that he's a fault. It's that Comicsville is being pretentious. It's oh, it's great. And then he goes home, and his apartment building just takes up the entire panel. It's massive. Yes. And, oh. Oh, Graham. Oh, you're killing it's me so- here. So good, yeah. But seriously, that and Destroyer Duck together, mm-hmm. and you're right. I like the Disney World um, issue of, of Forever People. It kind of feels like Kirby continually was just like they're commodifying your dreams. Yes, yeah, very much so. Like, like, like your imagination is at risk. Mm-hmm. That's all they're doing. They're buying your dreams and selling them back to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh God. It's so good, Jeff. It's so good. But um, next, Comics Pop, if there are any more Destroyer Docs, I'm grabbing them for you. Please do. Please do. I will pay good money. Um, that that uh, I, bad, I, bad money, Jeff. You, you can pay whatever money you want. Yes. Well, I, I will. Because that is – it's like hearing that, that that was going on today. I was like, ah. Oh. Oh, I would have loved to have been there. Oh, oh. <laughs> I've look. I've said before, you should come up for one of them. You well, really. Should. I know, I know, and and uh, well, we'll Wait, see. Maybe, yeah, we'll yeah. we'll see. The um, thing is, is things... I need advanced knowledge. <laughs> yeah, that, that is true. To be fair, this is one of the times where like I didn't have advanced knowledge. I literally saw a poster the other day and was like, "Oh shit, okay, right, great." I'm not doing anything else that day. Um, one of the other things I got was Secret Origins of Superheroes from 1978. And I got it because, as you know, it is it a Jack uh, is it a New Gods comic, not by Jack Kirby. I'm there. Right. It's the front cover goes real to last. The untold mysteries of Doctor Fate, the training of Black Canary, the strange genesis of Light Ray. Oh, Jeff. Right. Here's the thing. Did you ever think Light Ray had an origin? No, of course not. Jerry Conway thinks he does. <laughs> Eric Conway makes a great deal in this story of going on about how Light Ray is the only one of the new gods who has a superpower. What? Wow. Well, that's an interesting take. Uh... There are many times in Jerry Conway's new god stories where I'm like, did you read the comic? (laughs) Because I'm fairly sure the rest of them have superpowers as well. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, do you want to know Light Ray's superpower? Uh, it's not the fact that he can move. Oh, sorry. Do you want to know his origin as well? Oh, yes. Yeah, sorry. Yes. Oh, shit. They're going to give him a fucking origin. Okay. As a child, he used to hang out with Child Orion and Child Metrian. When Child Metrian like, was like, oh, I found a strange radiation signature down in the ground. And Child Light Ray, who's called something else, I can't even remember. And Child Orion are like, we'll go and investigate. Find Apocalypse soldiers down there fucking about with radiation that comes from the sun. Shoot Child Light Ray. What the fuck? Almost kill him. Orion fights them off. Metrion feels so guilty. 
that he genetically modifies Child Light Ray mm. so that when Child Light Ray wakes up, he has superpowers. Wow. Yeah. Huh. That's, uh... I liked it when I thought, like, he was just born like that. Right. But there you go. I mean... That, what, what do I know? <laughs> I, I looked... I'm sorry. Did you know that story existed? No, I had no idea. I had no idea at all. Uh, and I have to say, my, I think my life was better better for it. Uh, there are times when ignorance is bliss, and when it comes yeah, to... Honestly, ignorance might be bliss for this. It is by Conway and Don Newton, a.k.a. the team who did Return of the New Gods. Right. So I really hope it's in this this collection that's coming out next year. Because I know they're doing a collection of the Conway New God stuff. Right. And I really hope it's in there so that more people can share in my pain. <laughs> it is – that is so – I mean it's it's probably pointless to speculate. But, but Graham, what were they thinking? You know? I, I don't know because it feels like it's missing the point on so many levels. Right. Especially like Light Ray. Yeah. Light Ray's the one who has a tragic origin story? Right. Like, how? <laughs> Why? Where does this seem like a good idea to anyone? Yeah. Have you not read the comics? Yeah, it's, it's, yes. It's not a good story, Jeff. Wow. It's on Newton, so it looks nice. But what the fuck? Seriously. Seriously. That is fabulous. I wish there was a follow-up story where Jerry Conway explains that Super Town was just a town where they served a lot of soup. <laughs> no, because it, 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 this way, Super Town was a normal town, and then it was near toxic waste. <laughs> and then it started levitating, and Metrin felt so bad that he, he turned it into a Super Town. He, ga- he, gave, he gave everyone in their superpowers. Honestly, that's a far more 70s style idea, and I'd kind of be into it. I'd be kind of into Super Three Mile Island. You know, um, that seems like... look. That can be part of secret secret year. Oh yes, yes it will. I mean, sure, why not? Let's jam as much craziness into it. You've so. you've just honestly remind me that there was a was it not Super Town that was floating above Montenegro, the ruins of Montenegro in Morrison's Justice League run in the end, because oh, the Ultramarines formed the city. Maybe shit. I don't remember. God, that'd be but great. You though. remember what I'm talking about, right? Like the 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 Marines who were who were like General Ealing's team, but then he went mad, and they yes. ended up forming like a new like Global Guardians, and, and it was it was in a city that floated above the ruins of Montenegro that was destroyed in DC one million. Wow! I really think it was Super Town. Wow, that's amazing. I don't. I was going to say, say what not. Tell me, but really, I could just go and look at the fucking comics myself. I don't off the phone, but still. Yeah, no. Let's let's assume that it is. Let's assume that's the that's the secret origin of Supertown, not to be confused with Soup or Town. Uh, uh, never mind. I'm getting into a whole. Uh, <laughs> that's that's like a like, party on like, joke I'm, from I'm way back ex- when. Yeah, I'm going to explain this. The other thing that's uh, amazing about the secret origin of superheroes is it, the covers by Jose Gar- uh, Luis Garcia Lopez, mm. and I, I either it was an off day for him. It was early enough in his career that he was having off days, or someone has significantly redrawn the light ray in this cover. Oh, interesting. I, I will have to either find a scan of it or send you. Yeah, please a photo. do, and I can throw it in the show notes. It's, yeah. it's, it's such a. It, it's one that, like, I saw the signature and I was like, surely not. 
maybe well maybe not maybe not maybe it's one of those situations where uh i don't know i gotta say it all just sounds weird like it, it's it really it's like a, a comic from an alternate reality yeah it, it kind of is you're like yeah so much of this missed the said i've not read the dr fate story or the black canary story yet so i'm looking forward to that yeah that should be that i i'd like to say that should be interesting uh i don't know we'll we'll see um I do remember those those comics from when I was a kid. I didn't have that particular issue, or maybe any of the issues, but I remember being... Or any of them? I don't think that I did, but it was one of those things where uh, uh, there was... You, you know, there was... Their covers tended to be... DC had such a strong um, market in meta-reality covers. You know what I mean? Like... There was no real cover of Marvel unless maybe real early on before before I was really reading comics. But you just never got those comics where it's like, you know, Spider-Man holding up a, a plaque that is a panel from his comic. And he's like, true believers inside, you're going to see the story of how I died, you know, but that was like every other month with Superman and, and the secret origin comics, because it was like three heroes on the cover. It would always oh, yeah, yeah. be, this is literally uh doctor fate is making it like a magic spell. Mm-hmm. That is a circle that light ray is bursting through and looks in like a lot of pain from doing so. And black canary is shocked by it. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, at least that's sort of in there, but I just, I just feel like there were like these things where it was like, here is a panel of light ray bursting through a thing. And here's Dr. Fate casting a spell and sort of outside the two frames is like Black Canary doing her taxes, you know? So it's those, those covers always confused me as a, as a I clearly have to send you the cover of Adventure Comics 460 then because (laughs) it's, it's the dollar comics and it's six all new super star features. And honestly, I fucking love this format. I genuinely do. Mm -hmm. Um, but the main picture is one woman holding up Steve Trevor and the cover line is Wonder Woman in Hell fighting to save Steve Trevor. And do you know what's really funny about the story? Mm. Funny is probably not the right word, but it also is. Steve Trevor dies in the Wonder Woman issue that month. Uh-huh. In the story in this thing, she fails to save Steve Trevor. <laughs> the story ends with Steve Trevor still stuck there. Oh, man. And, and it... like, like Aphrodite or someone talking to Wonder Woman when she returns being like, nope, he's dead, dear. Sorry. Don't know what to tell you. Which is amazing. That's the cover of this comic. But yeah, that's so that's great. the cover. And then on the sidebar on the left is just the heads of the other characters. Yes. The flat strapped. He looks a bit grumpy. Dead Man <laughs> Aflame. He looks very grumpy. Green Lantern in ha- Enchanted. He looks like he's kind of smiling. Aquaman Hunted. And he's outright grinning. <laughs> Oh, Aquaman, your low self-esteem really throws you off. He's like, I've got a fucking comic strip again. This is great. Baby, I'm being hunted. Wow. Wow. I'm being hunted. Is the Justice League being hunted? Fuck them. I'm being hunted. That's right. Me. I finally got my chance. My chance to shine. (laughs) Me, (laughs) Aquaman. So is is the Wonder Woman a Don Heck story? It's like the most important question. But is it Don Uh, Heck illustrated? It is not a Don Heck story. It is Jack Abel is the artist. Oh, 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 well. Okay. 
Jack Jack C. Harris is the writer. Jack Abel is the artist. Uh, Joe Staten draws the Green Lantern. Don Newton draws both Aquaman and the New Gods. Mm. Um, uh, Jim does Dead Man, and it looks fucking great. Well, of course, fucking Jim Aparo. And uh, Len Len Wein and Jim Aparo, and honestly, it's fucking great. And Carrie Bates and Irv Novik do uh, the Flash. Of course, huh? Interesting. Like you uh, said, love that format. Yeah, those dollar comics. Our love. Our love of Aquaman just there reminds me. I know you're not reading Deceased. That is right. The end of Deceased, or one moment in the final issue, I fucking loved. Now, is that the end? End? Is it the end of the event? It's yeah, only too yeah, much for the end, Oh, it's it's it is. End, yeah, oh, I see. It's, okay. it's, it's only six issues. And ah, so, yes, the end. Okay. Um, Superman's become a zombie. And Batman is dead, like, as of issue one. And mm-hmm. so Damien's now Batman, and he's talking to the, the remaining superheroes. And they're like, and he's like, okay, we've got a plan to take down Superman, though, because my dad had a plan to take down all the all the major superheroes. And Korean Iron goes, including me, what's his plan to take down me? And he's like, he didn't have a plan to take down you. <laughs> you're, you're just a guy with a bow and arrow. I'm like, I'm sorry. He just fucking doesn't. <laughs> I, you know, I was like, I could be a fucking world level threat. I could, I could fuck, fuck him. I could be a world level threat. Later on in the issue, Aquaman comes back as a zombie and is uh, possessing whales to attack them. Right. And Green Arrow kills Aquaman by like just shooting him in the head with an arrow. <laughs> and it's like, fuck you, bad man. I'm just saved the world. <laughs> Me, a guy with arrows. <laughs> That level of petty, I fucking love. <laughs> that is pretty great. He really is just like, suck it, Batman. I fucking Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, that's hilarious. That's really oh. <laughs> yeah. That 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 is the uh, Green Arrow I always want to read. Yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. <laughs> Totally. Like weird, pissy Green Arrow, yes. <laughs> That's it. Like chipping his shoulder for the wrong reasons. No, yes. I don't want any more of like, you know, I am so liberal, you know, Bernie Sanders thinks that he is not worthy. Green Arrow, I don't want that. I want like Green Arrow is just like pissy that people don't take him seriously. Yeah, yeah. That's, totally. that's what I want. We we should we should wrap things up. I agree. We 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 have done two hours. We have we have gone through Really, everything that there is to talk about, about everything. I feel like we haven't. I feel there's, like, news we haven't talked about. Uh, oh, yeah. We didn't talk not about coming news. Yeah, we didn't really talk about this week's comics for the most part. Uh, you know, I, I felt like I was going to give a shout-out to Batman Annual 4, because I, I, actually, I actually quite like that. Um, I don't know if you had a chance to read it yet. But, I did. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I liked it, too. I, I've got to be honest, the art switch through me. The art switch was a huge mistake. And at at one point I was thinking that maybe that was going to be something that we were going to talk about uh, because because I feel like that happens a lot with Tom King's books, you know, is like the the swap in and swap art of the artists. And um, sometimes I, I feel like editors are getting better at doing it well, but there was also a change up in the art in, say, a Mortal Hulk issue twenty five, which was we probably could have spent an entire Wait, episode talking about. Is there is it not just that Joe Bennett does the like the last two pages? Well, he does do the last two pages, which works. But that that, makes that sense, works perfect. No, yeah. no, 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 exactly. No, it's it's all the better for it. So, 
Uh, um, no, I, it's got to be said. It, um, I feel that it's. I feel like either King is late, or I mean, it's an annual. There's from from my money, there's no needs to rush out an annual. Right. Like if Taurus couldn't have done the full, full issue and whatever deadline, push the deadline back. It's an annual. Right. You know, because yeah. there's no story reason for Norton to come in and do the art. Mm. Yeah, no, exactly. It threw me off too. And it, I, I do think maybe you're right. Maybe King wrote the, wrote the, like was missing the middle pages and he delivered them late enough that they needed to have another artist working simultaneously on them or something. But it is a shame because the art is so um, lovely and, and it's kind of important for the continuity of the story because the story is kind of about, you know, because it's about the the Batman version of quotidian existence. It's got to mm. have that that feeling of continuity to keep it to keep it tied to everything because it really is about you know encompassing everything in a way. I really did like the the telling of it and the way it was crafted, and you know. Um, it's it's amusing to me how much more in some ways I like King's Batman annuals, you know, like even when I quibble with stuff going on in the regular series. Um, yeah. You know, so although that being said, was Batman annual to the the amazing the Catwoman flash yeah. forward? Yeah. And this is issue annual four. What was annual three? Did I miss that? It was a fill in. It wasn't Tom King. It oh. was uh, Tom Taylor, I think. Mm, okay. I fill in like it wasn't Tom King is what I'm saying. Uh, right. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. All right. Yeah. I'm and also, I feel like it didn't come out that long ago. <laughs> I'm going to have to look this up. That's hilarious. The accelerated schedule of Tom King means that the annuals come out twice a year. I... I like I'm not joking. I was that annual came. Batman Annual Three came out. So Batman Annual Four came out this week. Batman Annual Three came out. Oh, it was December 2018. Okay. Well, there you go. Okay. I, I honestly thought it was is more recent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Otto Schmidt and Tom Taylor. There you go. Okay. Um. Yeah. No, that was fun. I can't think. Like, was there anything else particularly exciting this week that came out? I don't think so. No, it seemed well. Uh, actually, this this broke my heart because, of course, Jeff's got his comic book budget. And uh, Comixology does this thing that is sort of the same that a lot of comic pull shops do that, I, that I'm not totally down with, which is if you are subscribed if, if to the like series, it, yeah, like... you'll, you'll basically they're going to throw in the annuals. And I'm sort of like, I don't want the annuals a lot of times. So, but the, like, I don't really feel like quitting the subscription and, and then restarting it the, a week later. You know what I mean? I just don't trust myself. So I was like, okay, I'll take the hit. I'll, you know, King's doing the Batman annual. I'll probably like it. And I did. Sure. Savage Avengers annual. I'm like, this is, oh, why I am saw I that. doing so, that? Who, who is it? What um, is it? It's, it's, it's Jerry Dugan writing it so it's got a real strong through line with the regular series and it's it's more of the hey conan he is really fun to have in the modern day isn't he and so there's more of that i was like okay it's fine i'm not sure if it's 4.99 fine especially because it finished up and i was like wait a minute that was 
that didn't feel extra sized at all. And it was maybe 30 or 31 pages, but it, it felt pretty skimpy. I was definitely like, I probably shouldn't have gotten this. But one of the things that's rough is Tom Scioli's Fantastic Four Grand Design first issue came out. And I was like, ooh, I want this, but I, I'm just going to have to wait until it's on sale because I've already spent my I was going to say, like, budget. those things, I really was like, no, it's it's it was it, like it's something, $6 something I'm waiting, or something. It's something yeah. I'm going to wait for the. Yeah. Honestly, I'm going to wait for either Marvel Limited or I'm going to wait for the collection on Hoopla. Right. No, totally makes sense, which is a shame because, of course, it's like Seoli. You know he's going to – I think that, that – that, and considering we we did the Baxter building, I'm like, this is, in, this is going to be in my wheelhouse. I'm going to get all the references and I can really see what Seoli is going to be doing here. But at the same time, I was like, I just – I can't. I just Honestly, can't. it's not Seoli for me. The, the problem for me was – X-Men Grand Design was just increasingly uh, lesser returns for me. Yeah, no, I had the but same feeling. Time the last, yeah. But the time last series came out, I was like, oh, God, another one? Fuck. Yeah, it kind of overstayed its welcome, I thought. So so I really was like, I don't know if I want to do that with FF. Like, I, in a way, I sort of want to do it less. It's just that I happen to I happen to love Seoli. So, I mean, it's kind of like, ooh, ah, ooh. Anyway. We'll see. We'll see. Like I said, I, I was like, I can wait. Uh, so, but that was kind of, I was like, oh, that's kind of a thing. I feel like that was what I would define as a major release, but it didn't, it seemed like it was kind of a puny week. I was going to say like, it's major release for us. Right. I'm not, I'm not sure if other people would agree. Yeah. And it didn't, it didn't feel, I mean, I guess it was the fifth week, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, right. Right. That's probably why. Yeah. So yeah, those, those those things normally make people go boom. And next week, oh god, DC sent out its it's uh, like if you want to read the PDFs, you have to read them on our portal, and you have to read them now for next week. But I seem to, I'm going to have to look up the um, the email because I, I was like, oh shit, that's a Legion Superheroes is out, mm. uh, the first issue of the Black Stars. Mm. Uh, mm. Oh, you know what was out that was that I really liked? Mm. Um, the the Hellblazer special. Oh yeah, oh. Sandman oh. Universe presents Hellblazer, uh, as it's called, because of course <laughs> that, that's that's what it should be called. Um, Cy Spurrier writes a really fucking good John Constantine. Oh, I, uh, that makes sense to me, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's one of those things where like you kind of knew that was going to be the case. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he does. He writes a really, really good John Constantine. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm, yeah. I, I, I was very happy to see that was the case. I was very happy to see that was good. And I did a, a an interview with him and Aaron Campbell for the ongoing series for THR. Mm-hmm. And the Aaron Campbell art is just lovely, mm-hmm. lovely. And it's, it's behind the scenes story for everyone. Um, THR run on lettered art, and that's because. We only had on Lettered Art mm-hmm. up until like so it ran at, at like seven o'clock in the morning or something. Uh, so we had to get it, we had to prepare it the night before, right? Because I'm like, not only am I not going to get it up to get it ready at that point, but the images have to be loaded in by someone else and they have to do it and they only work on nine to five. So, ah, uh, okay. After it was like five thirty or something, I get an email from DC and they're like, "We've got letters. <laughs> like, want letters?" And I was like, you know what? No, the image team has gone home. And honestly, like the art's really good. Like, let's just go with the unlettered art. Mm-hmm. 
And the people I get back is like, that's probably good because there's a lot of swearing in this dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, you probably don't want this much swearing on THR. So I didn't even see that letter dialogue, so I don't know what it was, but I just kind of love, love the idea. That's excellent. That they're like, it's really good that you said no. Yeah. Like, we would have given it to you if you said yes, but we would have felt bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Oh yeah, but I like that. That was, actually, that was actually super great. I really, really did like that a lot. Oh, good. Good. Well, and also, I like Basketful of Heads, the Joe Hill comic. Right. Yeah, yeah. That came out this week, and it. I have to say that sounded... That sounded appealing as well. If I had also, I'm super cute. Like the artist, I think is a pen name. Oh, really? Well, it's called Leo Max, and apparently it's someone they discovered at a convention. But it looks really fucking like um, fuck. What's his name? Jimmy Broxton, hmm. the the artist who did the Night and Squire series at mm-hmm. DC, hmm. and is currently doing a 2080 thing called Hope. Hmm. And also did the Vampirella thing with uh, Paul Cornell Dynamite that he then got into a lot of trouble for. Really? Uh, yeah. Cause oh, because of the the white supremacy thing on the jet no, it was, it was transphobic language on the cover. Ew. That he didn't back down from. It was like, and it was pulp. Like you know, it was like he is a she. Or mm-hmm. I honestly don't remember. Maybe I'm mischaracterizing it, in which case I'm sorry. But all I remember was it was he was basically like called out for being transphobic, and he refused to make changes and was basically like, "No, fuck you." Wow. And so he he got into a lot of trouble. And honestly, I the art in in Basketful of Heads reminds me of his stuff so much mm. that it's like, is he basically trying to come back under a different name? Right. Right. Maybe, maybe. Wow, that would be weird and wild. It wouldn't be that unusual because he's apparently already had two pen names. Really? Yeah. So it's possible. Wow, Graham. What a what a rich vein of comic book weirdness you decide to share with us in the in the just, closing just moments of the podcast. Yeah, because now I'm going to tell everyone that the show notes for this episode, which Jeff's going to have to write up show notes for all that weird shit. He's going to oh, have to look for God damn it. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Oh. Just like Google Jimmy Broxton's pseudonym and like Jimmy Broxton transphobic and you'll be fine, Jeff. Just in fact, just Google those and then put those URLs like the Google searches. Yes, as the, I that'll will. Be fine. <laughs> Nothing could go wrong with that at all. Anyway, the show notes at waitwhatpodcast.com. Uh, there will be, when I am back up and running and not stupidly busy like I was this week, sorry everyone, uh, stuff at instagram.com forward slash waitwhatpod and at waitwhatpod.tumblr.com this week. Really will, I promise, just the end of the week, completely gone on top of me, which was very annoying because it meant I didn't do an Instagram post on Thursday, which was Jeff's birthday, and I was going to do one about your birthday, and I just didn't have fucking Aww. time. Everyone, Jeff's birthday was this past Thursday, and you should all say happy birthday to him in the comments, uh, because he's fucking wonderful, and you, you should all say happy birthday to him. That's all I'm saying, and I'm really upset that I didn't have a chance to do that in uh, the Instagram, but circumstances basically made sure that was not going to happen mm. anyway there will be stuff on instagram and the tumblr there's also a twitter twitter.com forward slash wait what podcast jeff has a twitter at lazy bastard at l-a-z-y-b-a-s-c-i-t i would twitter at graham m at g-r-a-e-m-e-m and we have a patreon when i say patreon jeff says 
it's a shame because I had that moment of like, oh man, this is such a good response. When I say Patreon, you say Dosh, Patreon, Dosh, Patreon, Dosh. I don't know. I'll work on it, everyone. So Patreon, Patreon oh, is <laughs> what's that? Oh Lord, you're actually <laughs> lucky that I had a coughing fit and muted myself because otherwise you would have heard me cough and laugh really loudly at <laughs> the same time. Oh, that's so funny. You were so quiet. I'm like, okay, they don't know land. So, uh, you, you guys, hopefully you know the drill. We are incredibly grateful to all of our listeners. Uh, we've been doing this for um, what uh, official sources tell me years. now is, yeah, a long time. A long time. And the fact that we're still able to do it, the fact that we're still both excited to do it has a lot to do with uh, being able to talk to each other and also being able to um, hear comments and support and appreciation from listeners like you. And uh, on top of that, the fine people at Patreon who are uh, go just a little bit above and beyond and throw some of their hard-earned dosh our way to be able to keep Graham um, happy as a clam. In, in, at, yeah, uh, in Frankenstein comic swaps. Yeah, Frankenstein comic swap heaven. Uh, and, uh, we're, we're super, super grateful to all of you. Um, we should, uh, also mention, of course, Empress Audrey, queen of the galaxy, uh, for her continuing support of this podcast and Out of reality. Yes. The very fabric of reality itself. Uh, Audrey, we thank you. Uh, Graham. That's me. I guess I, there's all that remains to be said is Jeff. I can't remember if we're recording next week. We are, aren't we? I think we are. I think we're we're powering we actually, through we, until we went, we went through. We actually whatnot. Again, secrets behind the podcast. Jeff and I sat down last week and planned out whether or not we were recording, like the schedule for the next month. And I just forgot. Oh, you know, we no, are, I, yeah, we didn't write it down. We'll have to. No, do we it didn't all write it down because we're oh, idiots. Shit. But we are, I believe, recording next week. Yeah. Yeah, I think next week will be a wait what? I think the week we'll after that, Drock, yeah. and then and then thank heaven it's Thanksgiving. So Yep. You're actually there's actually another week in there, Jeff. Do you know that? No. Yeah, no. Thanksgiving's on the twenty eighth. Oh. There's actually three more uh, weekends before Thanksgiving. Really? Yeah, isn't that crazy? That is insane. Time, time so, is weird. So in theory, I guess we really could take a skip week in there. But we're not going to. Well, we're... No, 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 we're no, no, <laughs> no. We're definitely going to be back on the no. ninth with the wait what, and then yes, pass and that. Then we'll... Yeah, Jeff and I may have words after this off, off recording. <laughs> I will have now. words with you, sir. Yes. No, no. Also, just literally because uh, I opened up my calendar to look at this, and my calendar had something else completely unrelated in there. I'm going to say. Uh, I've I've said in this podcast many times about things I've read in advance, and I'm like, you guys should all read this. Um, there's a David Bowie comic coming out uh, yeah. later, I think in January, uh, starting next year, called Bowie, Stardust, the Ray Guns, and Moon Age Daydreams hmm. uh, by Steve Horton and Mike Allred. And Jeff, let me tell you, it's fucking great. I I I actually do believe that because Allred is a guy who you just know that is that is like that's a dream project for him. I would think it's it's literally a biography all the way up to the last concert of the Spiders. Wow, and it's great. 
Hmm. It's really good. And I, I literally just remembered that because I was looking at my calendar and I was like, oh, shit, I have to do that. Who's the publisher? Oh, Insight Press? I let see. me... Let me pull up the. Okay, the so it's you. it's not from the it's not from the usual suspects. No, it's it's not the usual list. suspects at all. It's um it comes from Insight Comics. Hmm. Hmm. Insight Comics who are in San Rafael, California, apparently. Uh, it's also got an introduction from Neil Gaiman. If that uh, helps anyone decide, although for Jeff and I, we both just want to be like, oh, because he's a teller of tales, a twist <laughs> of secrets. <laughs> You know your mind was going there. Yeah, but it's really good. I'm I'm giving people advance notice of that. And also, yeah, this has been announced, right? The Hugo Pratt book that 2000 AD is doing? Yes. In fact, you, you mentioned I've it talked about officially. It yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hugo Pratt's War Picture Library yeah. is what it's called, um, which I was again looking at the other day. And it's Jeff. Still oh, you know incredibly what, You know what else I was reading that I got an advance comp of? Mm. Third World War, the Pat Mills Carlos Scarab book. Ooh. From the 80s. And that's great. Yeah. It's great. It is simultaneously much more nuanced than you'd think they would be doing in comics in the 1980s. (laughs) And also as entirely unnuanced as a Pat Mills comic about comics in the 1980s would be. Yeah. Yeah, oh, it does. And the combination of those two things is potent as fuck. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Mm-hmm. And ah. that's, out, again, I think that's out of January. Holy um, shit. Yeah. So what I'm saying is there's actually some really, really good comics coming at the start of the year next year. I'm excited. You should be. Okay, we're done. I'm really done. We, we've uh, we've already done the bit where we're like, hey, the show notes. And Jeff's like, hey, there's Patreon. So I'm, all that's left to be said now is, bye!